to the bomb hole. It's going to be very hot. It's going to be very uncomfortable for everybody. Gonna slide down in big hills. You know what I mean? On a big, nice burgundy snowboard. All right, welcome back to the bomb hole, which is presented by Pub Beer. Now, first things first, got to ask Stunny Butts, how are we doing today? So good, my dog. Love that. Now, to my left, we got Michelle Parker in the booth today. Michelle, how are we doing? Feeling good. Well, we are happy to have you here. Michelle, for our listeners that are unfamiliar with who you are, uh, Michelle is a professional skier. She transitioned from slope style and half pipe into filming, filming video projects, video parts from Big Mountain, Powder, all that good stuff. She's also an incredible rock climber and mountain biker, one of the only athletes to, to be given a Red Bull helmet in other disciplines besides her main one, which is pretty incredible. Uh, she's Overcame some incredible adversity and all in all, just a badass human being. So let's just jump right into it, Michelle. Uh, where did you grow up? I grew up in Lake Tahoe. I was born and raised in Truckee and Olympic Valley, now known as Palisades. And yeah, now I live in Tahoe City. Well, what did it look like as a kid for you there? Uh, when did you start skiing and, and ski racing and all that stuff? Started skiing when I was one. Don't remember much of that, but there was a thing like all the moms in the valley, they would take their kids up and skiing at the age of one. Um, yeah, and then growing up there, like, yeah, had Mighty Mites, was super fortunate. Actually, the public school system, I don't think it was intentional on their part, but basically at noon every day, the school bus would take you from the school straight to the resort and you'd ski for your fourth period class. And that was like my youth. That's like what I knew. Um, it wasn't like a ski school, but it was pretty awesome to be able to do that. So it kind of was, I always say I was raised by the mountains and I know that sounds cliche, but I really do feel like my coaches, my peers, like everyone out there were the people who you surround yourself with and that's who you become. So yeah. That's killer. Dude, one years old. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's a thing in skiing. I feel like it's starting to become that way in snowboarding, which I appreciate. Um, yeah, but yeah. I watched a documentary with, I think your dad said, or your mom said, if you can walk, you can ski or something like that. <laughs> yeah. That's, I maybe skied before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was an interesting thing. I was watching some stuff on you doing our research here. And um, I wondered, like, you had such a strong fundamentals. You got uh, at a young age skiing. And I, I noticed you raced as a kid. Do you think that that stuff helped you with fundamentals as you got older and got into the park and riding powder? I don't know. Um, to be honest, like, I yeah, I raced until I was, like, 15 years old. And at which point it became too structured for me. I didn't really feel like I could express myself or do whatever I wanted. I had ski coaches that were ex-Olympians who, amazing people, but they, they didn't really like approach skiing the way that I approached it. I had one ski coach named Todd Kelly who recently passed actually, and I hope he knows how big of an influence he had. He'd be like, go ski powder. Like, don't come to the race course, go ski powder. So I stuck with it, and when he left um palisades and you went to sugar bowl that's when i was like pulled the ripcord my my coach is literally like you're not allowed to go upside down you're not allowed to ski with the boys and i was like oh, i'm out like, and then i just started skiing in the park and that was kind of the impetus for me getting into park skiing which there was like a severe lack of women doing that that's at that I, time yeah i wanted to ask did you did you have uh freestyle ski women to look up to yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot. And we had like Christy Leskinen and Sarah Burke. Um, and then they became my peers. Yeah, air horns for both of them. And man, yeah, RIP Sarah. She was such a graceful leader in our sport. And I credit her with a lot of the way that I perceived women in action sports. Um, 
she was kind of a pioneer for equal pay and all of that good stuff. Uh, such a good example. But yeah, there was those two and there was like not very many other women. And I came into the scene kind of the same time as Greta Eliasson. Um, and we had like, yeah, another oh, air horn. <laughs> yeah. Some of our OGs. And, uh, there was like all of eight of us competing at these slope style courses. And actually I used to compete alongside Jamie Anderson. They would, we would be the only two women in our age group. So they'd made us compete together, like against each other. And I was like, I don't really know how this works. And we'd be like, all right, whatever, <laughs> let's just do this. <laughs> Some Tahoe OGs right there. Yeah. I can't believe your coach was like, no going upside down, no riding with boys. Like just throwing out those rules, a lot of people would be like, yeah, I'm out. I'm out. Yeah, yeah totally. That took the fun. I mean, I was kind of like, to be honest, I felt like quite bullied growing up, um, oftentimes by girls. And so I went full tomboy. And so that's my peers were all the guys. And yeah, that's that was my path. I got a Patreon question for you while we're talking about your early days here. And this is from Isabella Snowmonkey. And she asked, my 12-year-old daughter wants to know what age did you go from just ripping around to pushing yourself and your limits to progress? That's a great question. Thank you to, was it Isabella? Isabella Snowmonkey. Yeah, I like that name. <laughs> um, I think when I switched from ski racing, like ski racing definitely gave me a little bit of structure and like reaching goals and wanting to ski really well. And it gave me the fundamentals and the technical ability to go into my career later as a big mountain skier. Um, but when I started skiing in slope style, like I hadn't even learned a 360 yet. And I went to the U S open and, uh, actually this dude saw me skiing around at Palisades with a braid and he was like, I thought you were a guy. And then I saw the braid and your girl. And he gave me his, his business card. And it was Jason Leventhal, the owner at that time of line skis. And he kind of was like, you should come compete in slope style. Like I was hitting rails and stuff. And I was like, okay, like, sure. I'll do that. Showed up, saw girls doing 360s and was like, whoa, if you see it, you can believe you can do it. And that was like probably when I started pushing it. I was like 15, cool. 16. Yeah, 15, that, that was the age? Yeah. Awesome. I kind of want to just do a quick change gears for a second here. And in the intro, I mentioned that, you know, you just mentioned that you, you were raised by the mountains. You know, uh, I think that's really cool. Like you grew up in Tahoe. You're around, you know, there's big, in the summer, you got mountains to rock climb, mountain bike. Winter, you've got mountains to uh, you know, snowboard, ski on, what have you. And I was talking to your significant other, uh, Blatt, and he, he likened it to, he's like, you know, have you ever, you know, you go to Hawaii and there's, there's watermen, you know, people that are in the ocean and they mm. do, they don't just surf, they, you know, all kinds of ocean activities, whatever you can do in the ocean, they, they know, they know their way around the ocean. And I thought that was a great comparison for you because you are a person who in the mountains, you know how to ski, you know how to ride park, big mountain snow, you know, to snowboard, uh, you know, and, and you have a, you know, such a skill set in rock climbing and mountain biking that Red Bull was like, you know, wear the Red Bull helmet while, while you do these things. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Do you want to elaborate on, on the, the off the, the snow stuff a little bit? Yeah, I think growing up in Tahoe, it is such a beautiful outdoorsy space. And uh, I was a team sports kid, though. I played soccer. I wanted, like, my biggest hero was Mia Hamm. That's who I looked up to. I was like, I'm going to be on the U.S. soccer team, like, for sure. Was going full throttle in that direction. Played on the Nevada State team, the California State team. And then my soccer coach actually gave me a little, what do you call it? He's like, basically, you can choose between skiing and soccer. Oh, ultimatum. An ultimatum, yeah. yeah. And I was like, well, all right, I'm going to go be a skier then. And um, so, yeah, went down that path. And 
And I think skiing, once I stopped racing, like opened up my friend group and like kind of like out of high school, actually, that was the first time I like started rock climbing and mountain biking and, and exploring what Tahoe really had to offer. And I was like, whoa, I lived here my whole life and I didn't know about like the rock climbing and just being in the mountains like that. And yeah, so that was, it's such a wonderful playground. I feel really privileged to live there. How'd the soccer coach take that? <laughs> I don't know. We, we were just were chatting just like, about peace. that. Yeah, like you just are going to do the opposite of what people tell you to do at that age for sure. Mm -hmm. Oh, you want me to play uh, play soccer? Well, guess what? I'm not going to play soccer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And growing up there too, you're surrounded by so many incredible athletes, like for sure on the ski side of things. But then like you guys should know, like I was a freshman when like Josh Feliciano and Ricky Goddardam were the seniors. Nice. Yeah, air horns for them. And you went to school with those guys, huh? Yeah. Maniacs. Totally. He had Josh won the triple crown. <laughs> like he was like buying the limo for prom. Here's the rental house. Like, so those guys, like I had them to look up to. And Ricky's like an incredible skier too. But watching them in the park, I'm like, whoa. Yeah. Like that's, that's how you do it. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And Josh was making good money back then. Good huh? money. Yeah, for sure. That's cool. Yeah, that's cool stuff to talk about. And I know we're, we're, we'll go back in, we're kind of out of order here, but going, you know, you talked about rock climbing there for a second and you showed us a photo earlier about going, you know, this, the print you showed us that you are brought us for the office and you're going up this like really steep couloir and you're boot packing up in those bear traps of boots you guys use. And then, uh, <laughs> and, and I just wonder like navigating around the mountains, do you notice that rock climbing kind of helps you navigate the, the kind of more technical big mountain stuff? Yes. 100% rock climbing, specifically like the genre of rock climbing that I got into in Tahoe was trad climbing. So you're placing your own gear and you're climbing above it when you're leading. And that builds like trust in yourself and confidence building. Like it's scary to fall on your gear. And so for me, that just made me like, yeah, way more uh, comfortable in exposure and and pushing my limits, I think. And, and, and also there's like a huge skill set that goes with that, too. Like, I don't know, you kind of got to know a little bit about ice climbing and and how to get yourself out of these situations if you're in a if you're stuck or whatever. You know, what might help you out in the winter is if you rock climb with your ski boots on. In the summer. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> totally. I, that's Just actually true. A little cross-training. Yeah. Is she wearing ski boots in the climbing gym? <laughs> yes. Can we talk about the ski boots for a second? Yeah. How have they not progressed? Those are some <laughs> I wore those, like, like, what was that, last yeah, winter? Last when you backflip with Jossie. I did a backflip, yeah. Which I, And I was walking around. I don't even know. I could barely walk up the hill, and it was it was low angle. I don't know how the hell you wear those When things. you watch those people going, like, sideways and backwards <laughs> downstairs and stuff. <laughs> Like, what is going on? Fair, fair. Yeah, they're uncomfortable. You just have to get them custom fitted. Okay. But like, I'm going to go Mythbusters on this. Like my snowboard boots, I've had moments in those where I'm like out on a big tour and like I'm taking these things off. They're too uncomfortable. Really? Yeah. So now I go custom. Yeah, yeah. Now yeah, I do. Hold them. Yeah. yeah, I remember. Uh, also, I noticed like the ski boots, they don't uh, plane on top of the snow as much. I was post-holing every step. Oh, yeah. They're like, <laughs> if you don't have your... And just go right through. Yeah, totally. But <laughs> you know what? You know what I will say. You guys have us beat in is touring. You know, like it's it's so convenient. You guys just rip off your skins at the top of the hill and click in, and they're going down where we're like fumbling around trying to change the bindings. It takes us. You, you get sick of waiting for snowboarders when it's time to switch over. No, I love it. I love taking a neck. I'm not in a rush out there. Like <laughs> especially like I tour with like. 
I don't know, Jeremy Jones is like such an example of someone that comes to mind. Like he moves slow in the mountains mm-hmm. and like he appreciates that. And I appreciate that. I like a good skin track conversation. So you're not a ski mower then I'm guessing. No, no, no. Those, those guys those do not guys. move slow. No. That is, uh, is an aggressive technique. They're, they're, they're behind you, like hitting you a little bit. Almost. <laughs> oh my like, God. Fine, That's a no, no. You can't do that on the skin track. <laughs> I can turn it on if I need to, but I really appreciate the slower pace. Yeah. Can yeah. you put snowshoes on boots or just verts work and that's it? We have like the, I guess it would be the skier version of that. And they're like billy goat plates or there's different versions, but oh, okay. I have basically like a steel plate that connects via a cramp on. So you have like a sharp front point, which means you can climb an ice, which is great. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. We're learning. It's basically like wearing two cinder blocks on your feet <laughs> all around the mountain. It's really great. Um, Surprised they don't make ski boots out of cement. I mean, <laughs> might not? as well. Yeah, who knows? Funny thing, actually, they don't make ski boots in my size. Really? I've, my entire career skied with too big of, yeah, with like the flex that I need. They, yeah, so someone out there needs to do Well, you're this. just wearing like kids boots? Uh, no, because they don't come up high enough on my shin, so I've uh, always been swimming in this like big boot. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah, we've, we've got things to work we on. we got to get them to get it together, ski boot companies. <laughs> um, okay, well, let's let's go back to the kind of the, the trajectory of your career. So kind of left off talking about how you found some progression in skiing, learning 360s and stuff. And, and where did it go from there? How did you get sponsored? Um, yeah, I got sponsored. It was totally like, like I said, I was skiing around, had the braid. This dude came up. He was like, here's a card. We want to support you. I was like, whoa, this is like a viable thing. Because there wasn't women that came before me that were uh, that I was seeing that often. Like there wasn't enough media of it where I thought that it was a viable career choice. Like I really didn't think so. So I was like, okay, I'll try this out. And I was in high school. I was like 15, 16 age group. And then like X Games came and got invited the first ever X Games. And that was like our our sport was blossoming kind of and I was like all right I'll like do this and see how far it takes me and then out of college I decided to or out of high school I was like I'm not going to go to college I'm going to like take a year I was competing I was like it became like a viable career a little bit my dad was fully supportive my parents never once asked me like are you sure about this like I was like I'm not going to go to college I like totally do you yeah the most supportive people that was really cool I always question that I'm like dad you never thought twice and he's like no it just worked out so it was like three years after high school and I really realized I wasn't going to go to college. Like this was my career path. And, and yeah, they were super supportive. Old ski race coaches weren't so supportive. They'd always hit me up and be like, when are you going to get a real job? And I'm like, man, why are you guys like riding me like this? And then that kept happening year after year. And then I think I bought my first house when I was 21 and she asked me again. She's like, when are you going to get a real, real job? And I was like, I don't know. Just bought my house here in Tahoe. Like I'm feeling pretty good. I don't know if I need to get a real job. Wow. <laughs> Love that. Yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. That's the best, best, uh, wait, you know, yeah. that, that motivation to prove people wrong can be a very powerful thing too. Yeah. I honestly credit that, like, uh, the need, the feel, the desire to prove people that like I can do it too. I think part of that comes with being a female in a really heavily male dominated space, but like all the hate, all the people asking questions like that, the doubt, like that just was fuel to my fire. I never let it affect me in like a really negative way. Like sure. I could get down about it, but then I was like, I'll show you. Totally. Yeah. That's really powerful thing. I think to talk about too, cause I don't, I don't know what that's like. I'm a dude, but I think that, you know, what I'm hearing is that people are saying, you know, we underestimate you, you know, and I think for women in both snowboarding and skiing, it, it, it's a common thing. Like we, we 
we underestimate what you can do. And it, it's a kind of an interesting one because I, I almost relate it to, I'm sorry, I'm going to bring it back to Tom Brady. I'm a huge fan, <laughs> but he's, he's older now. And he's like, I was listening to this, this uh, thing with him. And he's like, he's like, I don't want people to, to be in my corner. He's like, tell me I'm too old. Tell me I don't have it. Tell tell me I'm too slow. Tell me, and it's like he takes that. that underestimation, and like that. What you're saying is it could be a big downer for a lot of people, and you're saying take that and turn it into mo- motivation, just like my boy TB12 does, and I, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, yeah, it was fuel to my fire. I mean, growing up too, like I said, I played a bunch of team sports, like, and I was a tomboy, right? Like hair cut up to here, and. Um, like above my ears for the listeners, but I played baseball. My dad put me on the baseball team. The other team, they didn't know there was a girl on the team. My name was Mac. Um, and like, that was my thing. I didn't know, I didn't know any differently between men and women. And, and so I think like having that, like the first time I realized that there was like a difference was when I was in the ski industry and I was like, oh, we're being treated differently. Like whether that's unequal pay or the approach to contest or whatever that may be, the lack of opportunity, like, hell yeah, I want to prove people wrong. And I love doing that on the bike trail too. <laughs> <laughs> Getting mop, mopping them up. That's awesome. Yeah, it did. It is. It's so fun. I try to be graceful about it, but there, there's something in me. Yeah. That's gotta be fun. Yeah. That's, <laughs> I love seeing that. And, uh, you know, like, sorry to bring it back to your significant other, but Blatt's dude, he blows me away. He's you two together. must just be flying down the trail. It's so fun. Yeah. That's kind of like, I was climbing a lot more and then I met Aaron and like his passion for biking. Definitely. I caught that and yeah, that's what we do. It's so fun. Love that. Yeah. I kind of want to just stay on this, uh, the topic of, of where you're just were at too, because it's really important. You know, I, I think it's really important to shed light on the fact that you didn't have, really people to look up to in free skiing uh and you know there was no bar set for equal pay and equal opportunities and and women were not treated with oftentimes as much as this sucks to say the same amount of respect as men and um i just want to say i admire the way you guys you you particularly are breaking down those barriers and and now there's a 10 year old girl that's coming up and gets to look up and say oh look i want to be like michelle when i grew up and i just think that's fucking awesome Yeah, I think it's really interesting when you look at, like, the scientific reasonings behind that, too. I just learned about this. So, like, um, with spatial awareness, like, men have multiple parts in their brain where they can deal with spatial awareness. So, like, if you're like, oh, this beer will fit in this mug, like, you have that ability a lot more. I think women don't have that space in the brain that they're, like, processing that information. So, like, for us, when that is applied to athletics, like, we really need to see it to believe it. And I've always said that, but I didn't know that there was, like, yeah, there's, like, scientific reasoning behind that. If we see someone do something, like, I believe that I can do it, specifically if it's a woman. I'm like, oh, yep, we got this. That makes sense. I mean, even in sports, you look at surfing, like, before nobody was doing 360s. Yeah. Somebody does one, and now it's the norm. You know, soon it'll be kickflips and who knows well, what you know what i mean it's the most prevalent e- example of that's the four minute mile it was yeah. it was oh, deemed yeah. undoable it was yeah, deemed it impossible yeah and then somebody did the four minute mile and then literally everybody, everybody. just the floodgates were open oh it can happened. be done i'm in yeah. yeah yeah so cool but we need to like i, I never know. heard that scientific stuff that's cool super interesting right yeah. um i'm pretty involved with like the mountain bike the women's on the mountain bike side of things like i help run this event called formation which is basically like rampage is the training ground to hopefully be in rampage eventually and man that is the fastest i've seen a sport develop in three years you're like whoa holy shit like jaw dropping they're excelling it's amazing 
things that no one ever thought possible. Totally. Yeah. So what about the first woman that actually steps up and does these things? They just don't have that same spatial awareness issue. I mean, I think you still have it, but you just work they're through just, it. Yeah, they're just ready. I'm going to do this. Yeah, because growing up, like, Or they're I, sick of being told they can't, and they do it. Totally. And Out just, of spite, like, yeah. yeah. Whatever. Love I'm going to do it, too. Yeah. yeah. You can't do this. Oh, I can't? No, I can't. I'll show Let's you. Yeah, 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 exactly. Now, I was listening to a podcast, and I thought it was really interesting how you mentioned that you kind of have different, I'll call it personalities for different circumstances. Do oh, want, yeah. Do you want to get into that? At Multiple all? personalities. Yeah, totally. It's interesting. So, um, well, I guess a little backstory on that. Like, I was filming with Matchstick for, yeah, 12 years. You said it. I didn't, I don't know. You did the research. <laughs> like, I have no, it's been a long time. Um, and I kind of wanted to break off and do my own thing. So, I started producing Originate, which is a series that I have with Red Bull. And we're now we've done three series. The third one's yet to be released, but be on the lookout. And uh, throughout that time, like, I overloaded my plate. I had too much shit going on. I realized that my skiing was suffering because I wasn't mentally there. I was, like, too busy. Um, but, like, it, it brought me down, like, to be honest. I was, like, in, a, in my lowest times, if you will. And so I started seeing a, a therapist and really was in line with, like, I want this to be, like, sports therapy. But for me to excel at my sport, like, I have to have my mental side in line and so yeah this was my wonderful therapist her one of her ideas and this is common like in basketball there's someone who does it but she's like all right you got to have these different personalities and I want you to like draw a picture a picture of them like write out their characteristics like be very specific so that when you're standing on top of that line you can channel that person so um yeah Athena is kind of like this warrior goddess who like that's who I am when I'm dropping in and she's got flaming balls of fire and like a invisible force field and like I just channel her energy and she is so confident and that's like I'm like all right I'm dropping in with the warrior mindset that's that's that personality then we have like the business personality like who do I want to be when I'm showing up in these business meetings and that's like this boss woman you've got to like channel that and and be a graceful leader and bring everyone up with you and and yeah so that's that what's the lady boss's name I think I just called her boss boss <laughs> yeah B-A-W-S, yeah yeah boss <laughs> um and then who else did I have I have uh I don't know why no offense to anyone named Stephanie but there's this little worrier in everyone and it's a part of you and you've got to accept it and be like yo like Stephanie's the worry wart who's like I don't know the cliff looks too big or like it's too flat whatever so when Stephanie shows up I'm just like yo Stephanie I love you you're a part of me but you're like not welcome in this space right now and I'm gonna like let you to the side and channel back with Athena mm-hmm. and yeah that's actually been really helpful it's a fun way to like get into the zone yeah to get in the zone and get rid of the issues and that's cool yeah make it happen yeah I think I could be mistaken about this but I believe the basketball player you're thinking of is Magic Johnson and his real name's Irvin Johnson and when he was on the court he was he kind of took that persona magic um and, but that's that's really powerful to, to say you know, kind of, it's, it's like gives you permission to click into this mode. Like, okay, I'm not, I'm not this person right now. I'm, I'm magic or I'm, uh, what was it? Athena. Athena. Yeah. Athena. The warrior. Yep. Hell yeah. Dude, I assumed his first name was magic. That's crazy. Yeah. Yep. Same That's here. Cool. I didn't know that. Yep. 
but it works yeah and it's a good way to like really if you think about like what does she wear what does she act like like what are all her characteristics like and you get specific about it you can channel that person. you try to like channel her and become her for that moment totally and then when you're going into a negotiation or something you're like okay how do i want to show up on this call like i try I take a moment before the call to get yourself in the right headspace into that headspace yeah wow now i have a question at all right, we're going to take a quick break and talk to you guys about Bub's Naturals. Now, one of the coolest things about Bub's is 10% of all profits go to charity. Now, Jones, why do you think people should support Bub's? I think it's pretty cool that they're snowboarder owned. Uh, Sean Lake grew up right here snowboarding the Wasatch Mountains. I think that's pretty dope. I love it. And I think it's cool that it's it's now being accepted for snowboarders to take care of their bodies, which is a cool new new thing happening in snowboarding. They make collagen protein powder. They make mct powder they make the apple cider vinegar gummies which are really good they're all really good for you and i heard they got a new product jones yeah they're dropping these hydration packs which is super dope um not a good hydrator i'm looking forward to that one because it doubles it down for you triples it down absolutely as snowboarders you're up in the high elevation dehydrated always want to get water in the system so the hydration packs are great for that if you're looking at picking up some of those head on over to bubsnaturals.com Use promo code BOMBHOLE and save 20% off of your order. Again, bubsnaturals.com. Use promo code BOMBHOLE. Because this is, while we're in the on the lines of this, like personally I've experienced this when, you know, let's say you build a giant cheese wedge or you're about to drop into a line and you're, and you're scared shitless. Cheese wedge is a good example because everybody's hitting a jump. It's big. Sometimes, you know, you're, everybody's kind of spooked usually when you're up there a little bit, you know, and, um, there's times where I, when I was younger where I was kind of like in my head where I'm like, I'm freaking scared right now, but I'd be like, this thing looks chill. Like, what do you guys think? <laughs> yeah. did, did you, yeah, do, you, do you ever do the kind of, I don't want to say fake it till you make it, but like, just kind of like pretend like everything's okay, but you're scared inside. I think you have to, right? Yeah, yeah. Like there's got, you got to like, yeah, I'm doing this. And then you start telling yourself you're confident and you act like it. You're yeah. going to do it. If yeah. I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. Yes. Yeah. So for sure that helps. And totally. The media is down there like, yeah, it's mellow, dude. Don't worry. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> well, they- Chirping down there for sure. That's happened a lot. No worries. <laughs> There's also, I found this, this is an interesting sidebar topic is like when you're like, ah, should I hit the jump? Or maybe I'll hit it. I don't know if I, that indecision is a lot more torturous than I'm going to hit the jump. Yeah. That 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 weird space of maybe I will, maybe I won't is so much more tormenting than than like, yeah, I'm just make the decision. I'm just gonna hit this. Do you do you ever uh, have any relatability on that? I think so too, and especially when hitting jumps like that's or a street rail or something like that, like. You just got to commit to it. And commitment is like, if you're committed, you're probably not going to get hurt. It's when you flail in the, in the in-between space that you get hurt. But when it comes to like the bigger mountains, like that in-between space, like I sit with that and I think about it and I try to separate like an actual fear of like, okay, the snowpack's maybe not as solid as I thought it's going to be or whatever that may be if I'm not feeling it with like the made up fear that you, that Stephanie, my other personality would come in and be like, I don't know, it's icy down there, whatever. So like separating that is a skill set, but it is so powerful to be like, nope, I'm walking out. I try to practice that because saying no is harder than saying yes, I think in the mountains. And that is a really like the main thing is we all got to come home. And so that's for me, no is a powerful word. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's your highest value is making it back to the truck safe. Yeah. So you can make decisions based on that. Yeah, that's that's really powerful stuff. 
Now going going back to your your career, so you you were doing contests, you're doing pretty well in those. You got sponsored. Um, you know, do you want to talk about the the contest side versus the filming side, or what the draws were? Totally. Um, yeah. So I guess I skiing to me was always my biggest passion. I left racing. I didn't really want to compete. Um, competing was the avenue that I found easiest to get sponsors and build your name up or whatever. So I kind of went in that direction with slope style and half pipe, primarily slope style. But I realized when we were out there, I was like, oh man, like we're all competing against each other. And it was also that time, right? Society, like in our action sports world, one female per sponsor, like that innately made you a little bit competitive against each other. And I didn't like that. So that's kind of when I was like, I'm going to bow down and like, walk away from this. I was really psyched. I was doing really well, but it just didn't sit right with me. So competing to me, you're competing against other people and then filming all of a sudden you're just competing against yourself and your team. And that like relationship in the mountains is like really deep. And it's like uh, specifically with what I do, like if we're all out together, like you guys are my lifeline and I'm yours. So there's this really like deep bond that happens. And that was always a lot more attractive to me with something that I'm so passionate about. I never wanted to take the fun out of skiing and like probably filming was my avenue to continue that I am a really competitive person like my dad was a pro tennis player and I just have that in me too he loves betting and he's just like I'm super competitive with him actually specifically but yeah filming was a way for me to be competitive with myself and try to be the best version of myself but also like kind of create community around me and I, and I really liked that avenue amazing I think uh a lot of couple things there that you breezed over. Did you said mentioned your dad was a professional tennis player? Did did that shift or help mold you to who you are, maybe self discipline wise or in pursuit of your goals? Yeah, I think that's part of why he was always so supportive of me doing whatever it was. Like, uh, there's been uh, basically one time in my career where I almost walked away, and it was after sitting in the hospital watching um, a super close friend of mine go through a traumatic brain injury. And I sat there with him for 33 days and four uh, brain surgeries throughout that process. And at the end of that, I was like, I'm done. Like, I can't do this anymore. Like, this is crazy. My family has lost my older brother before I was born. So knowing that and knowing how dangerous, like, I mean, big mountain skiing, like we've lost so many legends in our sport I don't think other than base jumping, there's many sports that compare with that to the mountains, right? And it scared me. And I saw what the family went through and I like knew what I went through. And I was like, called my dad and I was like, I'm done. Like I was lining up jobs for myself. I was out and uh, he, he was the only person that was like, no, you're not. Like sit on this, think about it. Like don't quit. And in the moment where I thought maybe it would be an easy way for him to be like, great, like we're done with that. Like you're walking away from this thing that's super dangerous and and I think for me, like, I would never want to put my parents through that again. So that's been always top of mind my whole life. Like, I can't die in the mountains. I don't want to die out there, like, straight up. And, uh, yeah, so I think he has always been super supportive of me following my passion. And, like, it's crazy. He's the most positive person. I, like, he's one of my best friends for sure. I love being around him. And his support is fully, like, why I'm doing it the way I do, why I've recovered from injuries, like, his whole perspective. So yeah, I think 
but you know I, we say tennis and I think of like white skirts and like um I don't know like the dress code to the tennis club and my dad had like pretty big hair and a hairy face and was like kind of the Andre Agassi style a little bit more like a little bit looser so he always liked to have fun he was never one to stick in his lane and and I think I got that from him too I think tennis is a sick sport it's so fun Ma- so remember gassed. McEnroe always swearing at everybody yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that dude was so sick totally <laughs> And that was like my dad's era. Like he did the Australian Open and then he switched over and started coaching tennis and operated a huge tennis uh, operation in Florida for 10 years. And and then my brother, Michael, passed away in Florida and I was named after him. And, and the, basically they moved to Tahoe in 86 and I was born in 87. So, uh, yeah, my mom and dad both grew up in California. They always knew that they wanted to be in Tahoe, I think, from a very young age. And I'm really lucky and privileged that they made it back there. If you don't mind me asking, how did your brother pass away? He passed away. He was in the middle back seat of the car. And then my cousin Corvette was middle left. My mom was driving and my older brother Johnny was in the front seat. And it was a probably a 16-year-old gal got out of control on the highway and like hit the median, the like center. It's like a jump essentially. And she aired her car and landed on top of my mom's car. Oh, wow. Yeah, pretty heavy. Kind of a trip too, like... I, uh, I've always thought of Michael as being like my guardian angel, if you will. Like I'm not super religious. I'm not religious at all or anything, but like, I'm like, he's looking out for me. Like I feel that when I'm out there. Yeah. Yeah, I believe that for sure. Yeah. How old was he? Maybe two. Wow. Yeah. Tragic. Yeah. I believe a hundred percent in the guardian angel thing. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. That's, that's real deal. Um, you know, going back to what you're Going back to the documentary, uh, I think it was one of your projects. Can't remember which one. Doing research again, and I thought your dad said something that is so simple, and so many parents could take a page out of because I don't think they have this set up straight. But it's just fundamentally as simple as you can put it, and and I think you're a product of it. But he said, I think it's important for Michelle. Not, this isn't verbatim, but be a good person first and a good skier second. And I think far too often we see parents with their priorities being the opposite. Right. Yeah. And that's a really, really, yeah, like good person first, good skier second. Simple bit of advice, but very profound. Totally. And he like taught me that in in ways that like I would later learn from, but at the time it felt really difficult. Like playing baseball, he was the coach of all of my teams or whatever and like I made all-stars I was like holy shit like I'm the girl on the team and I made all-stars this rules dad cut me like no you're not going I was going on a family vacation with my mom we did it every summer and he's like you're gonna miss that practice you can't be on the team and I'd be like choked like what I was so choked but like he taught me like you got to show up you got to be present and like just because you're daddy's little girl on the baseball team doesn't mean you're going to all-stars Still kind of choked about that one, though, Dad. (laughs) (laughs) To be honest. He couldn't give you special treatment, though, you know? No, he definitely didn't. I remember, like, learning how to dodge. He probably made it harder, right? (laughs) Oh, yeah. He picked on me, like, uh, when we went from, like, the pitching machine to, like, an actual pitcher. Like, he would sit out there and throw balls at my, like, body. Like, when I was, like, (laughs) up to bat. Yeah, and I would just turn my back. And I kept taking these hits. It happened, like, three times in a row. And finally, I'm like, what up, Dad? Like, stop throwing balls at me. And he's like, you got to learn how to duck or get out the way i'm like you're literally just throwing baseballs at me happy gilmore <laughs> totally. yeah. only 364 days till next year's hockey trap yeah happy gilmore did that he went to the batting cages and took balls to the to the body yeah <laughs> it's basically good to know you had a happy gilmore style childhood 
very inspiring. <laughs> yeah, but no, it was never tough love, to be honest. Like, he just, he really instilled in me sportsmanship and, yeah, being good to people. And that was passed on from his family. Like, his mother, I have a crazy, they have a crazy family history. Like, it, it starts in Georgia and goes to China and comes over to the U.S. And But she just had this really beautiful approach to, like, bringing people into their home. They would have these parties that would last for a week long. They'd station the local sheriff at the entryway to the, like, house that they grew up in. And my dad was eight years old, and they had, you know, she would bring people in off the streets to live with them and, like, put them back out there when they had a stable job and they could do the thing, but they'd have 300 people there all the time and just open door policy. Like, doesn't matter what you look like, where you come from, like what you're into, you're welcome. And my dad instilled that in me too. And where I, was I, that I, at? That was down in Palo Alto wow. back in the day. Yeah. I don't know if I could hang in a, th- a week long party, but. <laughs> and she would cook for everybody. Really? Yeah. And they weren't like well to do. She just was like, no, this is how we roll. We yeah. like invite everyone and everyone. Everyone's invited. Yeah, totally. That is amazing. Yeah, like my le- my dad learned how to gamble when he was eight years old. Eight years <laughs> yeah, old that from Billsby, right? <laughs> yeah, they brought Billsby in from the street, and he like uh, taught my dad how to play blackjack. And Billsby was just a dude from the street. Totally. <laughs> but eight years old, my dad would come downstairs. Like his sisters would wake him up in the middle of the night and be like, "We've got some people. You got to beat them at chess or whatever it was." Like, yeah, he'd come down and smoke them and win money off the college and kids. And Billsby was just as welcome as the well-to-do person. I think and- Billsby lived there for five years. Wow. Yeah. That is epic. Let's yeah. Let's get Bills being your own. Yeah. Bills yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and my grandma. And that she was your grandmother that, that did that, had yeah. that mentality. Yeah. All right. I think it's a good time to get into a guest question from one of the biggest bosses on planet Earth, Kimmy Fasani. Here yes. Hi, Michelle and Bombhole. I'm a huge fan. Michelle, can you share some insight on how you've navigated majority of your career filming with a male dominant film crew? Very excited to hear this episode. Thanks. Can we get some air horns for Kimmy? <laughs> yeah, I think like we should triple, do this super, quadruple. <laughs> yeah. Super air horn. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All the love. It's like we're at a Diplo show right now. <laughs> yeah, she yeah. got the trifecta there. <laughs> yeah. Trifecta. Yeah, thanks, Kimmy. Um, I think part of that is seeing people like her do the same thing for sure and knowing that there's others out there that are doing it. Um, I think, you know, for the majority of my career, I was surrounded by guys. And I think when I was younger, I also was a product of my environment, a little bit competitive. Like it felt um, threatening almost when another girl came on the team. And and I had to work through that because I realized that that wasn't healthy. And um and that was part of me leaving behind competition because I just wanted to go and ski with these women and, and the other snowboarder women too. And, uh, it wasn't until like I was on a matchstick trip in Alaska, all guys, there was four athletes. It's kind of hard to film up there with four athletes. You don't often land in a spot where you're like, Oh, there's four clear lines. And I realized that like my warm up line would probably have like maybe a smaller or something, but it maybe wouldn't make the movie. The line that I actually wanted to ski would be one of the guys warm up lines. And I was like, man, I'm just not progressing. And I'm not like in a space where I feel empowered to progress. Um, I felt like, my voice didn't matter as much, um, but it probably mattered equally as much. I just wasn't, I was like a little bit more passive, wasn't using it as much. It was intimidating. You're with a bunch of guys. Um, you work differently than guys. Like women communicate differently. There's all different things, right? And on that same year, I organized with Lexi DuPont and Tata Minode a women's trip. And so they showed up to Haynes. Yeah. And, uh, 
And we went out together in the mountains and I felt incredibly empowered. They were asking me for advice. I had a lot of experience. We were feeding off of each other. Like I would ask them for advice. It felt like this equal playing field and my level of progression in that one singular trip like skyrocketed. And I realized that like I needed to surround myself in the mountains with other women. And if you see it, you can believe it. I keep going back to that. But like that really made me level up and it made me appreciate these other women and their different paths to it and how we could progress together. Like I loved that shit. So I think like once I started getting that more, you know, as a regular thing, which was hard in the beginning, I'd ask matchstick all the time. I'd be like, can I go on a trip with Ingrid Backstrom? She's my hero. Um, air horns for her. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and they'd be like, Oh, one's enough. Like I heard that so often. And so one's enough. one's enough. Yeah, totally. And, and again, feel for your fire. Like, all right, I'll show you like one isn't enough. And so I guess now that is like top of mind when I enter a season, like I want to be around a bunch of women. I want to come together. I want to like, see how they do it. I want to inspire them and be inspired by them. Like that's, the way forward, like, yeah, a rising tide lifts all ships, right? Mm -hmm. And Haines can be a scary place, too. You want to be comfortable. Totally. It's a really intimidating space. Yeah. It's a really emotional space. You're, like, you go from zero to 100 real quick. Yeah, your confidence level starts so high, and then you get out there, and you're just like, uh, I don't know, man. I, I need to pull back a little bit. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And I'm just speaking from media side. I can't even imagine <laughs> your your side, you know? Yeah, it's intimidating. Now, speaking on the topic of, you know, where we can be better in, you know, both snowboarding and skiing because they're pretty related uh, as far as women's representation and stuff like that. Like, where as an industry can we be better? I think that, well, I'll start by saying this. I think that women are inherently less likely to speak up and to know their worth and ask for what they're worth. So the first piece of advice that I give to women is take initiative use your voice, know what you're worth. Don't take free skis and post about them. Like you're worth money. Um, if you're going to pursue this career. So yeah, take initiative. Even like when I started originate, I was like, there's not enough media centering women. There's not enough productions ran by women. Like I want to go do that. So I approached Red Bull and they said yes. And I was like, Oh my gosh. And then they're like, here's the torch run with it. And I was like, I don't know what to do. I've got this torch now. I don't know what to do. Um, I had to learn. And, but that was beautiful. And now I understand production and I've gotten this whole other side of experience to like fall back on. But I think as an industry, like, first of all, don't make assumptions for sure. Um, but if you do, you can, you can talk shit on me cause it, it'll just fire me up. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think like giving women the opportunity, being inclusive, like snowboard films, ski films, like having more women in them, like you don't do the ones enough thing. Like bring them in. If you're an athlete, bring them in, be open, be inclusive. Like I think us as an industry and I'll just loop skiing and snowboarding in together right now, we have this really the path forward is to be inclusive to everyone. And I'm saying this on behalf of women, um, people of color, uh, differently abled individuals, like all of us, trans women, trans people, like any gender, it doesn't matter. Like we need to be more open as a whole to all of that. Like I'm not going to sit here and be a feminist for women. Like I'm speaking of all of that stuff. Right. Um, I think that it's our job as, as athletes to like set that tone too. companies listen to us, like speak up, use your voice. Like, how can you be a good ally? Like just change the way you think about it. Maybe you don't necessarily connect with that person, but fucking bring them out there. Like give them a chance. Someone gave me a chance. I'm so thankful for that. It was a bunch of guys for sure. I was out there like 
I felt like such a dead weight on the back of, like at my 2003 RMK Polaris and Whistler like what the hell am I doing out here like like we can say like companies can put out that message right now like snowboarding and skiing as a whole can put that message out but that starts with us individually and I think if, if we're not being inclusive with each other like that's gotta stop mm-hmm. like talk about bad trends totally yeah. I was watching a bunch of the pink dollar posse edits yeah and that's like look how far snowboarding has come like totally those edits are awesome the music's awesome the vibe's awesome and it's it's incredible years ago that wouldn't have been around and now it's it's come full circle and or not totally. full circle it's progressed and it's an awesome thing yeah like so much love for <coughs> jess camara too like just being like yeah this is how i'm gonna use my privilege that is the shit mm-hmm. that's so cool yeah and including you, you all know, the women and paying yeah. for them to go on the trips like that's yeah. incredible you know interesting thinking about it on a bigger picture when i really like zoom out a little bit and think about it as you were talking i was just thinking about this is you know we we tend to compartmentalize uh certain parts of skiing snowboarding we're all just fucking snowboarders. Yeah. We're all just fucking skiers and just have each other's backs. Yeah, we simply just love winter put, sports. You know, right? like totally. simply put, it's not, it's not, nobody's taking food off anybody else's plate. Just, just back the, even though they're different than what you're doing or they look different than you, doesn't mean you, you don't have to still back them, you know? And like, I don't know if that's a, that makes any sense to anybody else, but no, it, it makes sense in sure. my head. Well, why do we do this? Like at the end of the day, it's just that fun, right? Yeah. Like, and why, like, don't hate on people. Like if they're having fun, fuck yeah, do it. Yeah. I love that shit. Yep. And they're getting out there, they're enjoying the mountains. Yep. And totally. Great thing, if they're you know? new, that's awesome. Yeah. If they're new, go help them. Yeah. Teach them how to carry their skis or whatever. Don't rag on them. True. Yeah. Awesome. Although you had a funny way about your skiing. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Was he his skis funny? <laughs> no, that was like my favorite thing ever. I loved that. Yeah, I like when when I was watching him, he'd just be standing there, not moving, and fall over. <laughs> I so could, ski boots. Yeah. I couldn't actually ski down the hill, but once I made it to, to the, the jump, jump, I could do a flip, <laughs> which was good stuff. Um, you know, earlier I'm gonna. I don't know if I'm putting Kimmy on blast or I'm putting you on blast, but uh, I was talking to Kimmy. And she mentioned a really um, funny story about you guys climbing Mount Whitney. Oh, yeah. Do you want to just talk about that? That was so cool. Yeah. Uh, it was Kimmy, myself, and our friend Hannah, who's Hannah was probably the strongest climber of the three of us. And Kimmy kind of let me in on this thing that's like, if you can go door to door from Mammoth to the top of Whitney climbing it, um, that's kind of the thing to do. It's like a little bit of an endurance mis- mission. So, we're looking at the weather and it's like 50% chance of snowfall. And we're like, nah, what are the chances? Like 50%, like we're fine. It's the tallest peak in California. Like, of course, if it's going to snow, it's going to snow there. So we leave our house. Maybe it was like midnight or 12 or 1130 to like set out on our 24 hour mission. And we hiked all night, got up there to the base of it. It's beautiful. The sunrise is going off. We start climbing. We're soloing a lot of it. Um, we went to East Buttress, which is maybe like five, six, five, seven. And we get to like three quarters of the way up and it just starts snowing, like really snowing. And the rock gets all iced over and we were pretty prepared. I remember actually before we left all the, all of their, like I was single at the time, but the boyfriends were like, are you guys sure you want to do this? And we're like, yeah, of course we're going to go out there and prove to you we're going to do it. And they're like, well, we probably wouldn't do it. Like it's going to snow. <laughs> and so, yeah, we're midway up there and the, the rock's icing over and we get a little off route into what's called an off width pitch. So um, there's no real good handholds. You're like jamming your body in between like a crack that's like too big to, it's just awkward climbing. Some people love it. Um, it's quite frustrating if you're not good at it. So we're in this place of like, oh shit, we're off route now. It's iced over. Like we can't place any gear. 
and uh yeah hannah climbs up ahead of us i think i gave her a little alpine like lift i like put her feet on my shoulders and boosted her up there so she could reach the hold and we were like close to epicking but we like climbed through and made it to the top and then got lost on the way down and like made it back in 24 hours though it was a mission accomplished but yeah I, i think for us like again being out there with each other as women in the mountains kind of like that's just confidence building when you don't have a guy to rely on and you're doing it on your own and you're like feeding off each other and and empowering each other like those are such good moments i loved that and Mm -hmm. kimmy's one of my favorite adventure partners ever i also heard there's maybe a story about somebody taking a dump um I, did she bring that up? I was yeah, leaving that part out. She yeah. was okay. She said, she, yeah, I was wondering. I was like, what's on blast about this? Yeah. Quote, unquote, uh, she can throw me under the bus is what she said. <laughs> yeah, that's a thing in climbing. Like, you're on the wall. You got to take a shit. You got to do it. And Kimmy's like, I kind of got to take a shit. And I'm like, okay, all right, this is going to be a bonding moment for us. So, like, takes her little bag over and, like, you're in the harness. It's all awkward. You're on the side of a cliff taking a shit right next to your friend. And then... Yeah. <laughs> That's so how mission it goes down, huh? The thing yeah. is just swinging back and forth the rest of the thing in the back yeah. of the bag? Or you, what? Don't, you don't leave any trace. So yeah, yeah, you carry no your poop with you. Yeah. Wow. i just probably go diapers on them. Yeah, Bud's <laughs> adult diaper. <laughs> Bud's yeah. would have about five or six of those bags swinging <laughs> in the back of his bag. That's good. <laughs> it's getting wafts. We'd be getting some, some crazy oh, wafts if you're behind Bud's. That is a bonding moment. That is a bonding moment. You know, you can't trust anybody that doesn't have a good shit story. Yeah. I'm just going to say that. There, there, some, I don't know where I heard that. That's but Matthew McConaughey quote. Matthew McConaughey. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he's a wise human being. <laughs> Obviously. I think it would be cool to maybe lean into some kind of injury talk because I know you've you've had some big ones. Yeah, totally. Um I felt invincible until I blew my knee. I was like 18 years old and at the European Open, uh, actually had with each and every single one of my injuries, I've had quite a heavy intuition going into that day to the extent of like speaking up about it. Like on this day, I asked the event organizers if we could have a weather day. It was snowing out and it was icy. And sure enough, case the jump blew my ACL. I was like, damn it, I knew. But it's a contest. You can't like back out of your contest that your sponsor supports. Like, um, so that was the first one. ACL uh, actually was really quite easy to come back from. I felt like like you can come back way stronger from the ACL injury if you follow your PT and do the work. Um, and then it was like maybe three or four years later, I think I had basically just purchased my house, as I mentioned, like at the age of 21. And I was out skiing with filming with matchstick. It was the end of a two week trip and I was exhausted. I had been skiing a ton and it was epic powder day. We were at Retallic and I was like, I'm going to sit today out. Like I'm just too tired. And I think it was a photographer who was like, let's just go out and shoot pow turns. I'm like, okay, I can go shoot pow turns, but I don't really want to like stand on top of anything. And we go out there and one thing leads to another. And of course I end up eyeing up this cliff and I'm like, oh, that looks like a pretty cool line. And then the filmer was like, Hey, Michelle, what about that one? And I was like, yeah, I've been looking at it. Like, it looks great. Go up there, drop the cliff, land on a rock, like, right under my boot. And I actually skied away, and I was like, holy shit, like, something's not right. And I, like, kind of flop over, and I feel down on my knee, and my kneecap is, like, basically behind my leg on my hamstring. But my foot's facing forward. I'm like, I didn't dislocate my knee, but it's, like, in so much pain. Dislocations just hurt. And uh, I was actually with JP Eau Claire at the time. And JP is like one of our biggest legends ever in our sport. And he had, uh, yeah, big time air horns. He had 
taken a bunch of rescue courses leading up to it. This was pretty like advanced for us in the mountains. Like he was one of the first professional skiers that I saw really like taking woofer seriously and taking these avalanche courses. And so he did an amazing rescue, got me down with the other guides and it was super funny. I was in this like sled, right. And everything's like hidden from, cause cold is like a big thing when you get injured, everything's hidden from the, it's not exposed except for my neck. And I'm like in so much pain. I'm like, does anyone have any like pain medication? Like I need something. I'm like, like it's, too much and they're like yeah there's actually a doctor and he's on staff right now he's like one of the doctors from nelson and he'll come and like administer some pain meds i'm like okay sweet so he shows up he has this big old beard he's got one arm and he's like he just has this huge syringe and he like jams it in my neck and i'm like i hate needles so much this like syringe goes in and and like i know what morphine feels like i had been injured before and it wasn't that and i was like whatever you guys just gave me that placebo effect didn't work like i need real stuff right now like i'm in pain four hours later the rescue like finally ends up happening i'm just out there in the snow just like fuck this sucks they fly me down to nelson um and yeah, that was ACL, meniscus, medial patellofemoral, microfracture, cartilage damage, like the whole gamut, like a bunch of different, I didn't even know what the medial patellofemoral ligament was. Um, and that was a huge process. I found out later that my doctor, Dr. Orr, credit him with saving my entire ski career. He told my dad, he was like, I don't think she'll ever ski again. And it was two surgeries total to come back from that one. At which point too, like all of my sponsors left me. It was right when the Olympics were announced for women in slope style. And I was like, whoa, do I want to go down that path and dedicate like the rest of my life to like going to the Olympics? I I have like uh, my uncle went to the Olympics for water polo. Like there's like a bit of family history there. It was like something that sounded really dope, mostly to walk out during open ceremony. I was like, that'd be kind of cool. But then I decided that fuck that. I just want to ski powder. (laughs) So I bailed on that whole thing. And all my sponsors dropped me simultaneously with that injury. Like these sponsors I've been on for eight, 10 years. And I was crushed and I, I couldn't make my house payments. I couldn't pay my taxes. I was like, whoa, rock bottom. But my dad being like the most positive person ever was like, he's like giving me all of 10 minutes to cry it out and like deal with the injury. And then was like, all right, from here on out, it's all smiles. Like you're attacking this thing. And, and I did that and it took me out for like well over a year, like a year and a half, almost two years probably. And then I remember when I got back on snow, it was like, you can ski one day, take three days off, ski one run, take three days off. It was like this slow easing back into getting into the mountains and, and having lost everything, I was like, whoa, like I'm going to have to get a job. I'm going to go to school. Like at the time I, it didn't phase me that much. Cause I was like, I'm so young. Like who cares? That was cool. Like it got to be a pro skier. Like that's dope. But in reality, like that's all I wanted to do. I was like, this is the most fun thing I could think of. Like I'm not giving up on this. So I started just cold calling people and called up this guy named Steve Reska. He worked for Matchstick, a cinematographer there. And I was like, yo, dude, like, I'm ready to film again. Um, like, I want to film, but I don't have any sponsors. And he's like, all right, I got you. And he's like, these are the sponsors that we're working with, like Mountain Hardware and Atomic at the time. And they picked me up, basically got back on board with Matchstick for the next three years and walked from all my old sponsors. Like, I had nothing. Like, I remember sitting at my CPA's desk and she's like, this is how much you owe on taxes. And I just started crying. I was like, I can't pay that like I have nothing just like hobbling around on crutches and then uh so yeah he got me back on board filmed with them I find that the year after an injury is like the year that I don't put that much pressure on myself I'm like I'm coming back like no one has any pressure like it's all good so I skied apparently really good I didn't think anything of it I just had fun out there and then go to the world premiere and 
And Reska had left Matchstick at that point and went to Red Bull. So I land in Seattle and he, he picks me up. I'm like, this is kind of weird that you're picking me up. Like, you're a friend, but like, you're not my team manager. And then he picked me up and just handed me the Red Bull hat. And I was like, holy shit. Like, you got me all my new sponsors and you just handed me the cap. And then I won best female segment like that night. And so it was like rock bottom to like back up to the top. I just was so fucking lucky. That was crazy. Damn. What did that guy stick in your neck? It was a. Uh, <laughs> it was like the, the, the most inspiring, yeah. the most inspiring story I ever. No, no inspiring know. story ever. <laughs> you, you just can't wait for you to finish. I have a part two. I have a part yeah, two. So what, wait, wait, can you just get done talking? I need to know what's in the neck. I'm over here like about to start crying. <laughs> I have a part two question, but I have to know what was in the neck. It was gravel. What? So that's like the Canadian version of drama. Mean like the uh, motion sickness. What a yeah. Jerk. <laughs> Dude, you he know what I've learned? I, I knew he was going to do that. The whole time, once you said the thing in his neck, I'm like, Easto just is going to wait for you to stop talking and he's going to ask what went in your neck. You know what I learned in my old age is you got to, got to, that gut feeling is real. It's real. It's so real. And I didn't God, figure this out until like my 40s. Intuition. Yeah. That intuition, your gut is like just something magical and you got to like, as an athlete, listen to that and back down when you got to back down. And totally. It works for me for everything now. I just, when I get a weird thought, it's like, oh, I got to do this this way. It's, yeah. It's real. Yeah, intuition's real. Third injury, not a ton. To, <laughs> I'm not going to go into that, but same thing. Totally yeah. had the intuition. Totally spoke up. Your mind knows. Yeah, and it's maybe that guardian angel you talked about. I don't know, yeah. but that's an amazing you story. Know. You and know. And also, I think that the more you get uh, spiritually connected with yourself and your self-awareness, I think it becomes more obvious, too, as you when you're 18, if you're, if you're like, listen. If you're boozing and doing drugs all the time and stuff, you're like, you're probably not going to be super in touch with your. You can't hear that voice. That, totally. that voice is not. Yeah. But if you're kind of like in the mountains and you're grounded, like you said, I think that that voice might get louder. You know? Yeah. And yeah. when you're young, you just don't even listen. Yeah. You're like, you're like, well, whatever. you got so much yeah, vinegar and it's just down. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. But yeah, listen to that intuition. That's kind of like shaping a lot. I've had like a big shift in the way that I see our industry and my part in it too. Like, when you're younger, you do want to be the best, right? You want to, like, go win that video segment. That was always the pinnacle for me is, like, winning that best female segment. And and now I'm like, whoa, like, fuck all that. Like, I'm in it for the longevity and the good times. Like, I've been doing this for 20 years now. Like, I'm going to keep this going. And, like, what do I have to do for longevity? Like, I'm going to the gym now. I'm, like, focusing on that. I'm celebrating all the small moments in between. Like, powder, like, there's a high rate of suicide in mountain towns, right? It's known that Very like high. mental health, we have issues yeah. in these mountain towns. And I think a part of that is like how fleeting these feelings are. Like you're bummed, like the weather affects you. If it's raining to the top, you're like, oh, my heart just sank. And you get that pow day and you totally score and you're on this high, high. And then that goes away real quick. But like we need to start as a culture celebrating all the in-betweens. Like my two best days of the season, for sure. Taking my mom ski touring. We didn't summit shit. We like walked up, had a picnic, skied down. Best freaking day of my season being out with my dad who's 72 and he's got parkinson's and i don't know how much longer i'll be able to ski with him like second best day first best whatever they're both like those are the memorable moments so like tapping into like what really what are you really getting this lasting joy of mm -hmm. like celebrating those conversations like i think it's great to have the aspirational athletes but like we gotta fucking come home like we can't be losing people out there in the mountains it's not worth it and we need to celebrate all these moments and have these bonds and connections and have these conversations together because that's what helps our mental health community mm -hmm. right community yeah somebody one of our listeners hit me up on a dm and talking about mental health 
and you were talking about how it's raining to the top, you're all negative and bummed, and he was like, it's funny they say no friends on a powder day, but it's really everyone's friends on a powder day. Yeah. You're talking, it's a good day, you're like talking to some random skier, that's totally. oh, what a great day. Yeah. And that's just, he just talked about how uplifting a powder day can be. And yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. There, there's some stuff I wanted to add to that as well of, of what you said. Um, you know, I, I wonder, I want to pick your brain on this too, because I feel like we're as a culture conditioned to win. Uh, and th- I noticed this, especially with dudes is like the way you're kind of shown love as a dude is like, if you're good at sports, your dad's going to be like, good job. You know, maybe the same for you, but we're kind of conditioned to, uh, get love when you do well at sports, right? So from a young age, you notice, oh, little Timmy did great in soccer today. Like, he's <laughs> like, oh, my parents like love me when I score a goal in soccer, right? So as that progresses, we kind of are chasing this uh, this dragon of success, right? And you're like, well, if I maybe if I just get last video part, I'll be happy. And maybe if I just get skier of the year, I'll be happy. Maybe if I do these things, and in my experience, I've noticed that the most success I've ever had uh, in a year on my snowboard was actually the most miserable and most unhealthy I was mentally of my entire life. And I've, I've heard this analogy of like people saying like, Oh, I made it to the quote unquote top of the mountain and they're yelling back and they're saying, guys, don't come up here. This isn't it. This isn't the way, this isn't the way you want to come. Yeah. Uh, Do you relate to any of that? What I'm saying with your, some of your successes? Yeah. Honestly, well, uh, that's interesting that you were in a really bad place mentally when you had a really good season because my best seasons are always like after an injury where I don't put any pressure on myself. Yeah. I'm like, how do I tap into that? Like not getting injured. Um, but yeah, I think like, yeah, the summit's not it. It's the journey. It's the people you're with. Well, that's, you just took what I was trying to say in three sentences and whatever <laughs> <laughs> three words. Well, that actually boils back to your Instagram. I was, I was lurking and it says, uh, addicted to now and that kind of sums that up too right yeah addicted to right now be here right now like focus on this yeah present being present that's harder it's easier said than done but yeah yeah and if you if you fundamentally look at well once i get here then i'll be happy the problem is when you get there you're like oh shit this isn't i'm actually still not happy but it's like the the process of getting from here to there is the is the good yeah the shitty parts, the best parts, like everything in between, like we're human. We need to feel all those feels and fucking share them with your friends. Like talk about it. Don't be afraid to like, yeah, I think that's important. Good stuff. When you came back from the injury, two, two things like a, did you, did you get your, how did you get your confidence back? And B, what advice do you have for somebody that just got hurt that maybe is in a dark place? Yeah. I think um, one of the things I love to do, and I learned this from my first injury, is like, yeah, feel all the feels. Like, that's a part of you that's super important to honor those feelings and to, like, let your body process them. Like, feelings are circular. You can't just not deal with it and bundle it up. Like, you got to deal with it. So, like, allow yourself, give, give yourself the space and time to fucking cry. Put on a sad song and cry it out. And I guarantee by the time that song's over, you'll be done crying. And your body will have then processed some of that emotional dealings. And and then if you're really upset and, and bummed, put on some fucking heavy metal and punch a pillow and, like, give yourself time and space to, like, do that. So, like, first of all, deal with those emotions. Don't be down on yourself because of it. But then know that, like, the future's bright. You're going to come back from this in one way, shape, or form. I can't say that I've ever regretted any injury. Like those have been some of the most powerful moments in my career to learn and be a better person and like 
if you can frame your mindset to think about it in a positive way is like like of course deal with all the negative aspects about it but like I don't know there's some cool things you get to do when you're injured like I learned the ukulele I went to college I started going to school and learning like use your time wisely and 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 first of all like we're incredibly privileged to have the leisurely time to learn the ukulele like I know a lot of people don't have that time but like work your ass off too. like listen to your doctors listen to your physical therapist you'll come back stronger question number one do you feel like since you had it all ripped away from you you had all of your sponsors taken away do you feel like that gave you motivation that this could be taken away at any time I'm going to work my ass off? Yeah, which is like the risk in what we do, right? We don't have like, a, I don't know, like a retirement plan in this job. Like you could get dropped and you could be down and out and and not really have gone to school and have like, what skill sets am I going to lean into? But I think like part of the way I've looked at this industry for myself as an athlete is like, you can do whatever you want. You can make a photo book. You can be a journalist. You can make your own edits. Like there's so many different avenues you can go down. So like, I think that's really inspiring too. You're like, Oh, I want to learn about that. I have all the tools in front of me to learn about that. Whether that's designing your own clothing or your boards or whatever it is, like the world's your oyster. You can do whatever you want. So that's super inspiring to think of all the different avenues. I think that's kept it fresh for me. Like it started with racing, then I went to park skiing, then I built the skills like street rails and filming and like backcountry jumps. And then I took all these avalanche courses that opened it up a whole nother world. Like I'm constantly learning and expanding. And I think that's kept everything super fresh. Um, kind of forgot what your question was. No, no, you're, you're on a great tangent. Keep yeah. going. Yeah. Like it's just like you can do whatever you want to do. And that's the shit. That, that's the thing a lot of people struggle with. You see, Riders, I, I have tons of people I can think of right now that have, that have had a career doing one thing and they haven't found that that thing to keep it fresh. And that's really cool to hear. You know, you went from street rails to slope style to or to video parts to big mountain to naturally uh, powered, not taking helicopters, big mountain to, you know, mountain bike to climbing around on the rocks and fucking getting to the mountain that way, you know, or whatever. Yeah. It's cool. Like you, you you're... Um, the inspiring takeaway I'm getting is like, you got to evolve to keep it fresh. Totally. As a human and as an athlete mm -hmm. and like sponsors aren't going to want to work with you if you're not like cool, like you got to be cool and being cool by that. I mean, like be a really nice person be a good person. What my mm -hmm. dad taught me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, another thing I was thinking about too, is that you lost all of your sponsors at one time. And, you know, as a, as a rider, we kind of get our, um, sense of self-worth unhealthily i think from that when you these brands are the ones that kind of make you know you can make it through contest results but like a lot of times the brands are the ones that decide if you're pro the brands are the ones that pay you the brands so it's it's kind of your source of validation in a way uh which is unhealthy but kind of a reality of the situation so when you're brands and your sponsors were all taken away and your your sense of validation did that kind of like crush your confidence or crush your way you felt about yourself um I don't think I let it get to my self-confidence necessarily I think I knew what I had and I think I knew that like I would do anything to have that again and I think I was also like excuse my French but I was like well fuck those guys they're missing out like I'm gonna do this mm -hmm. and like yeah, again, like I've been told no a lot in my career. And if you can just rise above that and and know what your goals are. And like for me, my whole, the whole time, my whole career, I think I've just like shown up and done my best. And like, I don't try to put as much weight on my performance, especially now. 
I'm like, wait, again, going back to like, yeah, it's great to have aspirational athletes doing big things, but like, we also need to celebrate like the pow turns, the like skin track conversation, the beer at the trailhead, the connections, like half the people I tour with in Tahoe are like 60 and above, like those connections, that's community, like those things bring me so much joy. And what if as a culture, like we weren't always pushing the limits super hard athletically, like shit's dangerous. Like people are having head injuries and life altering injuries that like affects more than just that person. Like, we don't have to be the best. That's ego. Like maybe that drove me for a while. I think it like pushed me in that direction. But like at the end of the day, like we ain't got to be that person. There's room for it all. If you're like doing inspirational stuff, if you're a pillar of your community, that matters to me. If I'm a sponsor looking at an athlete, like be the pillar of your community rather than using those pillars to climb to the top. Like that shit's cool. I love the way you just said that. That was amazing. Because if, if I view a, a role of a of an, an athlete or a sponsored athlete, we'll say, it's to inspire. And you can inspire by doing the best, hardest tricks, but you can also inspire by storytelling or doing all the things that you're doing and you're also ripping. I'm not trying to discredit that. Um, but there's there's more than one way to inspire people. Totally. And think outside the box, especially now. Like I think our industry as a whole, like, needs to shift more in that direction for the sake of people's bodies too like i don't want to have another knee injury like hell no i've had five i don't want to have another knee injury totally like yeah i'm in this for the long run i'm in this for the good times yeah and always coming home yeah you want to be able to ski as long as you can right totally it, i mean it's so cute too like a lot of my ski touring partners like my buddy's getting his hip replaced and I'm like, damn it. Can you just be young like me forever? Like <laughs> you're the person I look up to so much. I call you every day to go hike in the mountains. Like oh, homies here. Oh, puppy dogs. The, uh, oh, we had dogs just open the door. Hip, though. Supposedly they're good to go right after. I sure hope so. Yeah. I think so. We had a buddy who just got one and he's great. He's killing it. All right. Uh, buds, you know what it's time for? I think it's time for name that video part. That's correct. <laughs> I'm sweating over here. <laughs> <laughs> Name of that video part is presented by our store. We got all kinds of merch on there, huh, buds? Yeah, we do. What do we got? We got some cool new stuff. We got some basketball shorts. We got some cool towels. I mean, shit's popping on the store. It's popping. Use promo code STONYBUDS for 0% off. We got <laughs> streaming. Code. We got, we got streaming. <laughs> <I like> <laughs> all right, Michelle, how are you feeling about, um, about this video part situation? I am not feeling good. If you played my own segment, I don't know if I'd get it. Really? <laughs> oh, this is not good. Oh, wow. This is not good. So uh, percentage-wise, 0 through 10, what's your confidence level? I'm going with like a 1.5. 1. 1.5? 5. 1. 5. Right, that's respectable. Yeah. So even, that's actually kind of high for some people. Oh, well. Wow. Okay. Here we go. Is it Tanner Hall? It is not. No. But that is also in The Matrix, I think, that song as well. That song's pretty dope. I like that. It's, um, his last name's almost like Fajitas, but like with a U and 
It's like a F U G J. Oh, Fuhas. Pep Fuhas. That's what's <laughs> up. <laughs> I didn't know oh, what? shit. Was it session 1242? Yes, session okay, 1242. Okay, I got the video. <laughs> yeah, okay. You got it. That's a win. We're going to win. That's yes. a win. <laughs> Sorry, yep. Pep. Yep. Legendary part I watch is Legendary. Pep's out. such a legend. So oh, you wow. got yourself a bombhole prize pack. Amazing. Um, so this is a little uh, shout out to the people over at Yeti. They, uh, they gave us these little carry-alls yeah, filled with bombhole merch. This looks amazing. And a couple other things that we got uh, in there. Uh, we just got these. These are on our store, too. We got uh, slow-tide bombhole towels. And we have a slow-tide bombhole blanket. Phil, you're not getting any of that. Looking so nice. This gear is amazing. The bucket <laughs> hat. Big fan of buckets. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Yeah, we're going to run these. Those are probably sold out by the time. And the corduroy. In. Well, yeah. that's hot. Everybody take note. Corduroy hitters. It's a nice package. Yeah, this is a very nice package. I will wear this stuff all the time with pride. With pride. Thank you guys much so much. Much appreciated. And uh, if you're interested in picking up Slow Tide, we got the towels and the blankets available at bombhole.com. You can also head on over to slowtide.co. And uh, they're doing, I believe you do promo code bombhole for 15% off. And they have like Grateful Dead towels. They got all kinds of, they got, you know what I really I've like? i seen a Modelo towel. Modelo towel. Yeah. They got a poncho that you can change in when you go surfing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Surf you go dong out. Nice. You go dong out just about anywhere yeah. on that thing. It's great here. You can is that like these. a new item Thank that you. crept into surfing recently? Because I've it been is. seeing those everywhere. Oh, yeah. Because that's they, so awkward how they to never take had your those? wetsuit on Half off? the time, how yeah. many ball sacks do you see on yeah. a regular basis <laughs> trying to change? How have they never had those in surfing? It's such a good idea. I'm not sure. Whoever came up with it probably should win some sort of award. They should. Get head over a to slow, prize, slowtide.co, use promo code BOMBHOLE. Great little gift for anybody. Big time. 15% off. Um, that being said, part two of Name That Video Part, this is for our listeners. Uh, if you know the part, comment on Michelle's Instagram photo on our BOMBHOLE, at BOMBHOLE, and uh, that's where we pick our winner. So here we go. And is that snowboarding or skiing? That's snowboarding. All right. Thank you for playing Name That Video Part. All right. Let's get back into it. We got a Patreon question. We've talked about how uh, your significant other is Blatt, Aaron Blatt, for the listeners. Uh, very talented photographer and uh, movie, movie maker now. Yeah. Skilled mountain biker, snowboarder, musician. Skilled, skilled campfire. Uh, Just a great human. Pancake great, cook. Great human. Yeah. Pancake cooker. Mountain. So this is from uh, Hava Fernandez. Is Blatt as farty around you as he is around the boys? <laughs> <laughs> farty. Farty. Uh, right. New Hava. word, farty. Yeah, Hava was like one of the last friends of Aaron that was on my list of people to meet. Um, shouts to Hava. Thanks for that question. Uh, yeah, Aaron is uh, has recently become very comfortable with farting in front of me, which I appreciate. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. a Gotta good step to in the that. relationship. Totally. Right? Yeah. I think I was more comfortable for a lot longer than him, for sure. I actually had a question. Uh, Chris Ben Scheller told me to bring up something about a barking spider at one point. <laughs> I always joke. I'm like, there's a barking spider and it li- lives up your ass. <laughs> <laughs> took my wife like 20 years to get comfortable, but she finally made it. <laughs> yeah. 20 years deep. <laughs> Seemed that way. Yeah. She's a proper lady. <laughs> Yeah, no, I can't say the same for Buds. He's uh, he's probably sh- he's probably sharded in front of her more than he's farted. Definitely. <laughs> I spent too much time in the mountains, like on an expedition or something. Like you, get, it's just the elevation. Totally. Yes, oh, it's the elevation. Uh, totally. Uh, hence the reason. Have you ever been to an airport bathroom? It's a oh, war zone. In yeah, there. It is oh a war my zone. god. Yeah. 
So let's talk about that because you, you know, you've done Denali and these big peaks, and there, it's not like you just show up and go up the thing. You got to get acclimated to the the elevation and all that. Yeah, yeah. So I guess my interest in like higher elevation peaks. So I think a, what's considered to be a high altitude peak would be like eighteen thousand and above, and that's because that's where your body can start to detrimentally become ill or whatever from the elevation and so um yeah i have these two amazing friends back in tahoe emily harrington and adrian ballinger emily's like one of the best yeah rock climbers in the entire world she's very well-rounded um individual and and her and adrian are kind of like known for these like big mountain big big mountains everest like makalu all these big high altitude peaks and so hanging out with them like of course i got interested wouldn't want to walk up and walk down i'm like i'm in it for the skiing for sure and uh yeah denali was my second high altitude peak and that trip basically was spurred from johnny collinson and ian mcintosh we're gonna do some training like runs up and down mountains to get acclimated to go to nepal and I heard about it. I was just coming back from an expedition in, in Kachatna Spires in Alaska, this beautiful zone. And I like literally landed and got a text from Cody saying that he was going to Denali. And, and I was like, oh, can, can I come with? Like, I'd really love to do that. And he was like, yeah, talk to Ian and Johnny. And, and so like I got on board and that was like not a sponsored trip. Like we just went for fun. We named it Denali Summer Vacation. And uh um, yeah, it was so fun. We brought tons of whiskey up there. We just like kind of raged our way up there, but it was funny. There was some funny thing that happened. Like basically there's two pills that you carry with you when you're on these high altitude peaks, dexamethasone and diamox. Diamox you can use to help you adjust to the altitude on your way up. And dexamethasone you use only when you're coming down. Like you take that, it's a steroid. It's for like when you get hape or haste and you're going down, right? So we're like at 11,000 feet and we're moving our way up there. And I noticed this day that Cody was just on fire. He's like an ox. He's carrying his gear. Our bags and everything are like 115 pounds. You got your sled behind you. You're towing. It's just like full on endurance. And like Cody's really charging today. And then I'm sharing a tent with him. And I'm like, yo, like he's taking some pills. And I'm like, what are you taking? He's like dexamethasone. And I'm like, dude, I'm pretty sure that's what you take on the way down. He's like, no, no, you take this on the way up. The doctor told me. And I'm like, I don't know. So I like actually went and got a ranger. And I was like, yo, my tent mate is taking dexamethasone. Like we should check on him. And, and sure enough, like you, you're you going to have withdrawals and stuff. So like Cody goes through this whole process of like, don't take dex on the way up. And, and then like we make it up to 14,000 feet and we're up there and it's like, I don't know we kind of like to be honest we were like drinking and having a good time and like just kind of doing our thing and we had other range or like not the rangers were like really close with us we'd have dinner parties with them but like other people on the glacier were like can you guys like turn it down after 9 p.m like <laughs> we have clients like they're like giving us bedtimes and stuff and we're like no we're, fuck that like we're here to have a good time like we don't have no sponsors here like we're not filming or taking photos like we're just in it for the good times and um anyways yeah we uh oh there's a funny story so like when you're like living at altitude like you got to drink a lot of water and then you got to pee in the middle of the night and it kind of sucks because you're like in a tent. So basically for us females, like we kind of shuffle up our sleeping bag and you squat and you try to aim into an algae, which is pretty hard. It's pretty hard to do. And I was real nervous about this. I was like, I don't know if I've got this, but you don't want to like walk outside. It's below zero degrees. Like it's kind of this whole process. So like I nailed it the first night. And then I remember like, and I'm sharing a tent with Cody, whose wife is Elise Sog said, she's like a super close friend of mine, professional skier. And and I like 
do it one night and then I reach down to put the cap back on and I fucking missed and there's just piss like everywhere in my sleeping bag and I'm like oh my god like all over my gear you only bring so many underwears and socks and everything and super embarrassed I take my frozen wet wipes out and I'm trying to clean it up and Cody wakes up and he's like what are you doing I'm like I just peed the bed (laughs) and he's like so nice about it at first but the morning like yeah the morning after the first thing he said he peeks his head out the tent he's like guess what Michelle did last night she pissed her bed (laughs) (laughs) so yeah that happened I've learned since then but um yeah that was an incredible experience we actually summited on day nine which is a little faster than you probably should you're supposed to acclimatize a bit more I was feeling like hell at the top I was like this is brutal like walking pretty tough to walk a straight line um but we put our skis on and like the second I started skiing I was like I'm good to go and I found out at like 18,000 feet that I think most of the people in my party had been taking Diamox unbeknownst to me so like I'm the only one not taking these altitude pills I'm like oh that's what that makes a lot of sense but we ended up skiing the uh Orient Express off Denali it's a classic beautiful line that comes back down to 14,000 feet and yeah full like successful mission was so fun though and again like it wasn't about the summit for me actually the craziest thing was we were like 500 feet away from the summit my buddy Shane Treats like yo like we should I have the sat phone I brought it up here we should all call someone that we love Cody calls Elise and it like gets all broken and cut up and they hang up and I'm like you need to call her again like she might think that something wrong is going on um I called my dad and he was sitting on the beach in Hawaii he's like I'm on the beach in Hawaii and I was like I'm almost to the summit of the tallest peak in North America it was this beautiful like I will always remember that phone call um but yeah that was such a fun trip what a great experience I love it up there amazing that's awesome uh you know, forgive my ignorance on, on this kind of mountain, uh, mountaineering type of stuff where you go all the way to the summit. Buds and I drive around in cars and hit handrails. So we're, when you say it takes nine days to the summit, what does that look like? Is every day you're going like, you know, 10 miles or whatever? How does that, how does that like, what does that look like in those nine days? Totally. So you usually get flown in on like a beaver or like one of these planes that can land on glaciers and you start actually for Denali in this like the Cahiltna Glacier. I believe it's the Cahiltna Glacier. So you start walking on flats and you're like short roping, which means you're all tied together. That's like oddly the only time I've ever had panic attacks is when I'm short roping because you like have to keep pace with the person in front of you. And that's just like to walk on glaciers, you tie up and uh, but you're just walking. Yeah, like as far as you can, you set up camp you break it down in the morning you eat like go as far as you can set up camp and and mind you like we split all of our gear evenly amongst our group so like we have 115 pounds like individually like distributed I'm like Cody and Ian are like they're so big and I weigh 115 pounds I'm like carrying my weight up this thing crazy And, and I'm like cutting out like everything I'm like can't bring that can't bring that like I need my shit to be as light as possible we get up there and like Johnny Collins and had like this dope jean jacket I'm like what the fuck man that's not like cutting out weight you brought this he also brought dry shampoo which was like a big plus for me he's got long beautiful flowing blonde hair (laughs) Um, (laughs) I was hyped on that but then like a bunch of the boys also brought drones you can't fly drones up there I was like you guys come on like here I am being all minimalist but um, yeah, it's hard work and you just work your way up the mountain. Um, there's one part of the mountain called motorcycle Hill. We did that in two loads. So we walked up, dropped gear, walked down, slept, walked up again. 
And then we started our ascent date from 14,000 feet. So you're going to 21,300, I think, is the summit of Denali. And uh, it's a long day. We started, we were like, we're going to be like alpinist and get up at 6 a.m. And then we fucking got up at 6. And we're like, it's way too cold. And we started at 10, like proper free riders, I guess. <laughs> um, but yeah, what a joyous adventure. We got good weather. It was sunny and, and uh, really enjoyable. It was really cool. How much did your pack weigh when you, when you left? Like, when we went down? No, like, just when you had all your own stuff in it. Like, uh, I mean, we all carry, like, camp gear and all that stuff, uh, but I don't, I just remember that weight, like, 115 pounds. Because you guys all weigh it and then split it up so you have the same weight. Same weight, yeah. That and is I was like, a little is this unfair like if you only weigh 15. <laughs> yeah. There should be some sort of formula. There. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, do it like 20% of your body weight. And that, if someone just packs all sorts of random stuff. Totally, like jean jackets <laughs> yeah, and, and, and dry shampoo. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> pretty good i that also think so it's fun. funny that that's your like idea of fun because that yeah, to me sounds I'd crazy. rather like get hit in the face with a shovel than do that <laughs> totally <laughs> i respect that it's <laughs> not for <laughs> everyone i don't know what it is i think it's the like the process of becoming so deeply bonded with the friends that you're on the adventure mm -hmm. with that's what i'm in it for that's the why what about uh were you guys hung over in the morning because you're going so hard or i don't remember that that yeah. much to you be honest fine. it was just a good time yeah, but i'm sure you forget the bad parts that's yeah. what makes a good alpinist or like a good mountaineer yeah. like you forget the shitty parts you, you want to do again you always forget that stuff just yeah on, on like that was yeah. so fun and then you get back into it and you're like this fucking sucks what were you thinking yeah why do we do this as to you're ourselves? doing it yeah sucks, why are we doing this you look totally. back it's great yeah what? lots of type two uh there's a i gotta do a little myth busters here because i heard i was recently at a motocross race up at, in mammoth and uh, a lot of the, a couple of the people were saying, Hey man, you need to take some Viagra. Uh, <laughs> Viagra is like, it's good for elevation. Like I was like, I'm not going to take a fucking Viagra pill and ride around my <laughs> dirt bike with a rock hard bone. Yeah, that's not what I'm going to do. But like, then they're like, no, all of the rock climbers that go up at a really high elevation and alpinists, like they use Viagra. Now, do you, have you ever heard of this? Um, I've heard of this. I've never spoken to anyone. I think that there's a lot of things going on when people go to high altitude. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I, I don't know about the Viagra thing. <laughs> wow. But you should totally try it. Yeah, no, it's like, is this, are you guys trying to punk me? Is this an Ashton Kutcher? <laughs> yeah, Kuchers? they might be. Yeah. Ashton Kutcher situation? Yeah, they wanted to see you bike around with a boner, dude. I'm just laughing at you every lap. <laughs> All right, so maybe we're getting punked. Okay, good to know. <laughs> That's good stuff. <laughs> yeah, we talked earlier about uh, one thing. People, I don't know if everybody knows about you. But you play like uh, you, you sing and you play the ukulele, and and what's it like when you and uh, you know Blatt is is a campfire god. He gets on that uh, acoustic and just starts She's belting. Talented. Yeah. Uh, are you guys like you guys must be like professional partiers when it comes to a campfire? I mean, to be honest, like we play every night at home and I find it to be like one of the most beautiful ways to connect. Like you're doing this thing that like for me, so I started playing the ukulele like after my third injury and I was like, okay, my goal with this is to be able to play at a campfire. Like that's like a big part of my culture where I come from is we like camp out and everyone gathers around the campfire. And so I wanted to find my voice, but that felt really vulnerable. So um, Angel Collinson, this other skier, professional skier who's retired recently, but she is a really good singer. So I like, she was injured at the same time and I like Googled, um, singing camps or like singing lessons and i found this dope camp at brighton bush oregon it's a hot springs it's like full hippie like you're naked the whole time and then it's a singing camp i was like well that's fucking vulnerable for me for sure um so i kind of went through that process and you had to sing acapella in front of like 40 people i was tripping well you're naked no yeah totally 
um but then yeah i got into the ukulele there's an amazing group of friends that make ukuleles in tahoe called tide music and their ukes are like really beautiful they're like like just pieces of art so purchased one from them started taking lessons and then i met aaron um i guess we've been dating now for like five years and he was out he was like shooting me for anon goggles and we just like connected and then it started raining for like five days and so we like ended up writing a song together and like playing that and we just had like a really good time um so he kind of brought that out in me a lot more before we even together and then like officially when we got together i remember that night it was fourth of july we had been playing music at a friend's house till like super late we ride our bikes back home and we like went off into the woods and just played music together till like five in the morning and i was like I think I have a crush on this guy. Like, hey, let's make this official. Um, but yeah, it, we've got a little set list. We we got paid one time to play. It was really fun. Um, I love playing with him at Baldface with Jeff Pensiero. Like, that's like my favorite place I think to play music. And yeah, it's been nothing but good times. He's amazing though. Like, Aaron's been playing since he was five. He's mm-hmm. very very talented. He's nice with it. And he's gonna cook you some pancakes in the morning. It's a whole <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> Uh, that's awesome. Now, going back to Baldface, I was told that you go up there, you do your skiing. A lot of times, maybe you get a couple photos that you need, and then you switch over to a snowboard and start fucking shit up. <laughs> yeah, that place, like, the the whole vibe of it, for me, like, I have so much more fun when I snowboard. I think I've taken a couple ski runs, and then like, there's a part of me that looks at my skis every day, and they're just snow stacking up on them, and I haven't used them, and I'm like, poor skis. Like, <laughs> I love you, but, like, snowboarding is really fun, and that terrain is, like, like oh, it's just meant for snowboarding like as much as like because I ski with like mostly snowboarders a lot when I'm just recreationally skiing we have a good posse and and to me when I'm on my skis like I just want to go as fast as I can and hit the biggest cliffs that I can and like there's a part of it too where like I love working with the terrain and like visualizing how the ball would roll down and and playing with banks and stuff and I think I get a lot of that inspiration from snowboarding but when I'm on my snowboard I'm like I just want to turn like the turn is such a beautiful joyous thing it's like to perfect that turn that's a goal of mine like I I just love it it's so much fun that's amazing that brings us to a guest question from none other than Nick Russell what up bomb hole yo Michelle Nick here hype to hear you're in the booth you are probably one of the most well-versed athletes that I know Whether you're charging lines in Alaska on your skis or rock climbing big walls in Peru or getting in the mix with the best of them on your mountain bike and also on a snowboard. We've had a lot of really fun days when you decide to bring out your splitboard for the tour and uh, you got some skills. So my question for you is, can we expect you to go full Sean Pettit on us anytime soon? And if so... When can we expect a full Michelle Parker snowboard part? <laughs> thanks, guys and gal. Peace. Oh, thanks, Nick. Much appreciated. That was very kind of you. Nick's like been one of my main touring partners for a number of years now. I feel like we've grown together in the mountains, and I feed off of his energy. He is like loves snowboarding so much and loves getting out there. And um, yeah, I, I've played around with that thought in my mind. I think I'd go more like the Jeremy Jones route and like like the Big Mountain Jeremy Jones and go full split board missions and big mountains like that. But I don't know if I'm going full Sean Pettit. Mad love for Sean Pettit. I, I have so much respect for him, but I also love skiing too much. I don't know. It'd be so fun. I'm not good enough, though. Like, I can't go <laughs> drop apart, but I just really enjoy it. Whatever brings you joy. 
It's like uh, it reminds me of Sean Palmer back in the day too. He would he would like win border cross and then go win skier cross. She just do anything. Yeah, Ricky Goddardam too. Like yeah. always, mm-hmm. I'm like, how do you just drop in on skis? You haven't skied in like a year and throw a cork tent. Comes right back. Yeah. yeah, like he's amazing. Yeah, but you have let's let's just kind of look at the stats here. Like you said, you've gotten incredible at rock climbing. You've gotten incredible at skiing. You've got incredible at mountain biking. If you applied yourself, I mean, it just took one year and be like, I'm going to snowboard this year. I, I'm just saying. That is true. I'm just saying. <laughs> I think it would be dope. That's that's all. Yeah, it could be. I might, maybe I'll do that. And maybe go I'll back, go back to skiing, whatever. You know, but I'm just yeah. Like, keep it. Cool. You got to mix it up though, right? Mix yeah. it up. Yeah. yeah. Keep it interesting. Yeah. She's just like on top of like Chad's gap, just like tomahawking <laughs> full speed. <laughs> yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> Step into Chad's. Right. <laughs> no, but I, man, I get so much inspiration. Like, from the snowboarding side of things, watching Zoe right now, like, mm-hmm. pff, love that girl. There, so impressive. A lot of times the the women's contest, like, is more dramatic. Like, it's like, yeah, it's a lot exciting. of times they're more nail-biter runs where yeah. she came through the Olympics and put the back 10 down and landed in the parking lot and freaking er- erupted. A lot so of the guys amazing. just look the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love watching her progress, too, and, like, the natural selection. And then she filmed with Aaron and that squad this last year and getting to see some of those clips i'm like yes it's happening yeah she's about to go on a about a 10 year run of being the yeah the new the new goat here mm-hmm. yeah real, real yeah. Quick. Champ. she's coming up you kind of breezed over this okay we're gonna take a quick break and talk to you guys about granite towers equity group now you may know dan breezy he was episode 71 on our show he's known for jumping roof gaps x games real snow absolutely beating things down on a snowboard. Well, now he's kind of beaten down the real estate game. Dan Breezy and Mike Roeder founded Granite Towers Equity Group to help investors build passive income by investing in real estate, specifically multifamily apartments. Granite Towers currently owns 2,100 apartment units and has raised just under $100 million from private investors just like you. Get on a call ASAP with Dan Breezy and the team to learn how to invest privately into real estate with Granite Towers. Skip all the headaches of learning about real estate and invest with these guys. You can find more at granitetowersequitygroup.com or you can reach out to Dan directly on Instagram at Dan Breezy, B-R-I-S-S-E. Reach out to Dan today to get started. Just quickly, you talked about how you've lost a ton of legends in skiing. Maybe... There's something to be said with you've kind of learned how to deal with grief in a sense or loss. And I wanted to see if you wanted to lean into that a little bit. Yeah, I think uh, it's been wild in our industry. Like how many people, you know, from Shane McConkey, C.R. Johnson, like the list is long. I can't even count them on two hands, um, let alone four, to be honest. Like when I was in high school, we lost our first friend, Carson, who he was just like in our squad. Like we'd go ski with him every day and he had a brain injury and we lost him. And then right after that, I lost like my boyfriend at the time's father. And then it was like every other year I was losing someone that I considered to be pretty close to me. And it fucked me up for sure. Like that is no joke. That's super hard to deal with. And, and then, uh, yeah, eventually it came down to like my actual best friend, Timmy Dutton. And he passed away. I want to say it was maybe in 2006 or something, but he was like my ride or die. Like we grew up together. We were in the womb together. Our moms were friends and like tightest friend ever. And he passed away in a skydiving accident. And 
that one like hit me the hardest like I was choked I couldn't do anything I was like I'm paralyzed from this like this is so hard and and I remember calling my friend who was a master chief uh, Navy SEAL which is the highest ranking you can be in Navy SEALs and I was like I can't really think of other aspects of life where we're losing so many friends like this feels like it's war or something like it's like I mean I don't take that lightly but it felt like okay you're a Navy SEAL like you've seen this a lot like what do I do and and he kind of worked with me and talked me through it and like everyone deals with grief in a different way I think that's really important to note there's like everyone says there's these five different stages of grief and you process it and and I think for me like I mean when Timmy passed away luckily I had JT Holmes we were like a tripod of friends and and he was like give me he like whipped out this calendar and he's like what do you have to do like in the next two months like and then he just started taking a sharpie and crossing everything out and he's like fuck all that take time for yourself like get back to center like figure this shit out and and I think just man like take your time with it I don't know if I have it figured out they've all hit different for a while I thought I was cursed I thought that like I was gonna die for sure like I started going on trips and being like it's going to happen on this trip. Like I'd be, I remember leaving my dad in the airport and being so choked up and just like bawling, walking away. Like my time's come, like I can just feel it. Like it's going to happen. And then being so cautious in the mountains and like doing everything I do. I just was like, it's like, it's going to happen to me. It's happening to all my friends. Like what? Like, yeah. And then I was like, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's people that I have a connection with. Like, um, weird shit goes through your head. And, and I think time ultimately heals that stuff. But you're never healed completely. Like I think about these friends a lot and I, and, and it gives me a lot of, I try to smile mostly when I think about them, but like, yeah, it's fucking hard. Like, especially your best friend. Like Timmy was like such a gem of a human. He didn't give a shit what people thought of him. He'd say whatever. I've never met anyone so much more themselves. It's, it was a beautiful thing. And yeah, but I think with Timmy too, like he knew that he wasn't going to be around for a long time. We spoke about it. We knew that he wanted bagpipes at his memorial service. He didn't want a memorial service, but he was like, but my mom's going to want one, so we got to have bagpipes. Like, we knew this stuff, and that was really weird, but it was also comforting. Um, he had a really rough road, like, went down some different paths and came out, like, totally on top. Base jumping became his new drug, and, and uh, yeah, it, it, it just takes time. It takes time, and it, and it takes being around people that you love to like get you back into that place. I don't know if I have like a ton of wisdom behind it, but yeah. I think they all do hit different, huh? Yeah, totally. They hit different. You learn like the first one I was a wreck. I was just like crying yeah. nonstop and like, yeah, you just kind of grow from it. I don't know. Yeah. I, I do notice old people seem to take it really well though when their friends pass. They're a little more used to it. Yeah. Maybe yeah, they've lived like yeah, a long life. More. Yeah. They're just like, uh eh. Yeah, there's a couple things I noticed too. I think the younger when I first time dealing with it, there I my issue was the lack of acceptance. That I think acceptance is accepting like, that that the thing gone. that happened, yeah, yeah. But the other and the flip side of things that the um the thing I think is uh good about it though, I mean, if you ever go to a, a funeral it really reprioritizes what's important. Yeah. Right? It gives you that perspective of holy shit, I thought my thought my TPS report was important or whatever bullshit you got going on. What is on. a TPS report? I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> <but>. <laughs> I 
<laughs> that was a good example. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I, it's something to do with something. But like you said, bullshit paperwork. You know, oh, yeah. I forgot to whatever the fuck it is that stupid thing that TPS keeps you report. up. There. We'll say TPS report. Yeah, but then you're like, yeah, no, actually, I gotta spend more time with my family and yeah. friends and like enjoy that. Yeah. It gets your priorities in line for yeah, sure. The connections yeah. are what life's about, and mm-hmm. you gotta remember yeah. that. Yeah, and spending quality time with people, like put your phones down. Yeah, yeah. It's mm-hmm. hard to give someone like concrete advice how to deal with it because I think everyone is different. And yeah, takes it different. Well, that that's sometimes a, it takes longer. Too, that's to actually even set in. Yeah, it's great advice in itself. Yeah, I guess totally. huh? everybody's road looks different because you know and you, let them do it their way. Some I guess. people are still stuck in a place, and maybe yeah. you've you've kind of grieved past it and that's okay yeah yeah but i think like ultimately bringing it back to what we were talking about earlier like actually letting yourself feel all of that stuff and like get help if you need mm-hmm. yeah reach out yeah talking about it yeah the self-awareness is also a good one too i've noticed that uh you you go through a thing where you're like you know if you can be really clear you're saying i'm why am i sad right now i'm sad because i miss my friend that's okay that's a healthy emotion i'm sad because i miss my friend not I'm beating myself up because I could have done something differently. Yeah. That's an yeah. unhealthy emotion. A lot of people yeah. have that problem. That's an that unhealthy. Get past that. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, another note I have here is some of the Red Bull camps that you've done. I know you did a crazy uh, breath clinic with Ian Walsh, and you went to, like, Australia with some Marines or some shit like that. That what, was crazy. Yeah, what did you – tell us about that. <laughs> yeah, so, like uh, – aligning yourself with sponsors that truly want to see you succeed like red bulls they've got my back no matter what and i know that and a part of me feels like i was a little bit of a lab rat for them like we're always going down there getting our blood drawn like they're sending it in to see if we have this special gene that helps you deal with pressure and like really yeah oh yeah they're like studying us we have science down totally they had this incredible like director of their whole uh, athletic program named andy walsh and he Australian and he just thought outside the box like he would put us through these really high stress situations much mirroring that of like buds if you're training to be a Navy SEAL so like this Australia trip was like the furthest reach for anything like uh, we ended up going with myself Greta Eliasson and and uh, two other like professional females that are on Red Bull and they designed this trip basically they took a satellite image of earth at night and they put us on the piece of land that was like the least surrounded by lights so like there's no interruptions like you're in the middle of nowhere and that happened to be northwest Australia and the Kimberley and um, it's this beautiful landscape and it took them a year to plan this trip and they actually had to ask the local aboriginal tribe for permission to be on this land and and they incorporated the Aboriginal tribe, and the, and the the tribe actually accepted us because it was all women. So they had this like beautiful uh, Leah was her name, and she was like a tribal leader, and she kind of welcomed us onto the land, and and it was really spiritual. But the whole premise behind it is that we didn't know like anything, like any day we didn't know what we were gonna do. So that really helped you and forced you to be in the moment. But mind you, they gave us CAT scans before and after the trip, too, to study how our brains changed. And we were with a couple of Navy SEALs. And, uh, yeah, one of them, Peter, he, like, became, like, my dad. Pete's, like, uh, freaking Pete Nascheck. He's the the uh, master chief. And he, he and I was, like, reading a book about Navy SEALs on the way over there. And then all of a sudden his name's in it. And I'm like, whoa, I'm going on a trip with Pete Nascheck. This is so cool. And he just became, like, a father figure, really. But, like, every day we had no idea what we were doing. We ended up walking for, like, two weeks in the middle of the outback. Um, 
and they were just testing us. Sometimes they'd make us stay up for 24 hours and walk through 115 degree weather. Like there's saltwater crocodiles. We're like walking through mangroves. Like it's kind of scary and kind of real. And then at one point at the end of the trip, we got on this boat and we just start going out into the middle of the ocean. And the boat is like no bigger than this table. Like it's a little skiff basically. And we brought an extra engine and we're like cruising out to the, like we left at midnight. So it's the middle of the night in the middle of the ocean, 400 miles away from land. And we're just like cruising and like, this is crazy. Like I'm not an ocean person. Like we're out here and I'm like, but better to be out here with a couple of Navy SEALs than anyone else. And I look over to my buddy Brad and I'm like, dude, what if there's like pirates and shit out here? Like, what if we get caught? And he's like, I was like, I guess we're with the right people. And he's like, you're with the right people. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, Captain Phillips, I saved him. I was like, holy shit, (laughs) you're the guy? And he like showed me a photo of him and Captain Phillips chilling. He's like, he said he signed a 70-year NDA that he wouldn't speak about it. Like, that's all the information he gave me. But I'm like, okay, we're with the right people. Like, we're going to be okay. 70-year NDA. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Um, But yeah, like that that trip was like, basically, they just wanted to test us in high-pressure situations and see how we would react and then apply that to your sport. And like, every day the Navy SEALs would give us a question that we had to think about, which I think are really important questions for all of us to have sorted out. Like, like what is your purpose in life? We've got to think about those things. That's a big question. What is your mission statement? Why do you do what you do? Like all these things, you think about them while you walked for 24 hours. And like, I don't know, that's like an example of what they do for their athletes. It was one of the coolest experiences I've ever done for sure. Did they learn anything from the research and the CAT scans and yeah like going into it i think probably because i do like type 2 fun like my brain waves were actually quite similar to that of the navy seals two of the girls were not at all and those two girls like had both of them had like full-on breakdowns like mid trip yeah and then overcame that and like got back to like this really dope spot like you were psyched to be out there with them and their brain waves changed to be like the navy seals from not could be because they were exposing themselves to all these different things where they had to lose control you had to be in the present moment and like there was, n- you, you had no control and it was really uncomfortable. Like everything is trying to eat you in Australia. Like whether it's like that's the, the hardest plants. land you can possibly be. Totally. In, right? Yeah. The yeah. craziest stuff going on. So crazy. Um, it, but yeah, that trip was just a small example of what they do with their athletes. It's pretty and cool. So they're not even filming or anything. This is just research. Like do we filmed the whole thing. Oh, and, they did film it. Yeah. And I don't think I've ever seen the yeah. like, footage really. It's like, just complete. research really. Totally. I had no clue they had that department. Yeah. You you mentioned briefly. You said uh, type two fun. Yeah, never heard that. Yeah, before. me neither. Really? Mm-mm. Oh, we should have some type two fun, what y'all. Is, what is type two fun? <laughs> it's like when it's not really that fun, <laughs> <laughs> but it's fun afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, like summiting Denali would that be type two? Totally. Fun? Okay. Yeah. Cool. Okay. You're voluntarily suffering fun. through it. Type one is like we're all just having a good time. Type two is like it's not fun type until two afterwards. Fun. You learn it's something not new fun every day. You look back at it and and think on it. Yeah. Exactly. And, and that's, yeah, that makes sense. And then you forget about the shitty times and you want to do it again. That's well, your problem. It, oh, totally. It, <laughs> and it, it, do you feel like every time you do that, it builds your confidence to be like, oh, I can do whatever? Yeah, for sure. Like, okay, I've walked up to 21,000 feet with no oxygen and I did that just fine. Like, yeah, it sucked. It was a struggle, but like, I know I can do it. Mm-hmm. And then what can you do more? Like, you're just building upon this experience. It's, that's like been my entire career. Yeah, it builds your ability. The, there's also something that's different about about that stuff where I noticed this, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, like, um, all right, I'll say this. Snowboarding is very fucking loose and unstructured. You're like, what are you going to do today? I don't know. I might try to do a seven on the jump. I might try to backlip this rail. Probably going to get up there at like 10 and like fuck around it. It's like you get good, but it's not like this very formulaic process where 
I feel like mountaineering, rock climbing, it's very like analytical minded. Like, okay, I'm summoning Denali. So this week uh, I'm going to do 25 miles and I'm going to acclimate and I'm going to eat this. And I'm, it's like very regimented. Whereas it's, do you, do you find comfort? Do you, do you find that it's more regimented than our loose way of doing things? Yeah. I mean, for like the majority of my career, I haven't been a goal setter. Yeah. I've been like, I'm just going to go have fun. Like whatever that entails, I'm going to learn new tricks. Sure. Like whatever, but like, I'm just going to go have fun. It wasn't until Denali that I had a, like a concrete goal of like, we want to go to the top of that mountain. Like that's the goal. Mm-hmm. And that really, I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. Like in climbing, you have goals all the time. You're like, I want to climb this grade or you have a project. I'm specifically focusing on this climb. It's super analytical. It's super focused, like probably too much for me. Like I am less structured and I kind of like the free flowing of it. I'm very spontaneous and down with that. But yeah, it's kind of cool to like, so then I guess after Denali, I started setting these summertime goals. I still like skiing to be free flowing and just to do whatever I want to do and whatever brings me joy. But in the summertime, I've started setting like I usually enter at least one bike event every summer. And that's like coming off a knee injury. Like the one way that I got my mus- muscle back is long distance road biking mm-hmm. and training for an event that was like a hundred mile race or whatever. So those goals help me like drive towards just being more healthy and I'm super kinesthetic. I can't stop moving. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of my way of doing stuff. I think you're probably the same. No, totally. Yeah. yeah. No, I like that. I think that's cool as you get older. That, Cause that stuff, when I was like 16 or something, I was like, if you're going to tell me I'm going to do a hundred mile road race, I'd be like, dude, uh, you are stupid. That is <laughs> awful. That's some type two fun. But, huh? but as you get older, that actually, that does sound kind of fun. And the fact of the matter is like, all right, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to go out and I'm going to bike five miles today. On Thursday, I'm going to bike 10. On gonna Monday, on I'm going to bike, you know, or whatever. Next week, my goal is to do, you know, a 20-mile ride, and I'm going to eat this way. I'm going to build up to this race, and I'm going to, you know, kind of like put together a like a marathon training program, and uh, I think that's pretty cool. It's cool because you're throwing yourself into the unknown, too. Like, I'm not a bike racer. Like, yep. I'm just going to show up, and it's going to be fucking hard i'm mm-hmm. gonna go through all the emotions like yep. i did the trans cascadia last year my first enduro and that's like a it's kind of a wild enduro like it's four days i think and you're like climbing the most vert i've ever done on my mountain bike and like then you're racing and you're going as fast as you kind can there's a fine line between like eating shit and it being detrimental to like you actually nailing the line like you're really letting it hang out there and i went through all the emotions i was like sad crying on the descent and then like so hyped and then like i'm gonna fucking win this stage and like everything but that's like the coolest thing to throw yourself into the unknown that's when you are vulnerable and you learn about yourself and mm-hmm. you meet new people like that's the shit i love mm-hmm. throwing yourself into the unknown i got a patreon question for you being this multifaceted uh athlete that you are this is from travis flippin is lake tahoe better in the summer or winter Ooh, great question um i think people come for the winter and then stay because of the summer it's a pretty great year-round destination i think that you know to be quite honest we're dealing with a lot of forest fires and uh climate change issues right now that are pretty scary so like last two years in august all of august it was like fully smoky you couldn't go outside forests are closed like it feels really ominous it's really scary to live in a fire prone area um so yeah i think i'm going with winter but i'm a winter sports person i love it when it's snowy and cold and does tahoe even have winter anymore I mean, yeah, December was really our <laughs> December, winter. Yeah, <laughs> that was wild last year. I remember year, my youth, man. We'd go out there all the time, like all season long. Yeah. And it just slowly, 
yeah. progressed now to a month of winter. I think that California it's coming back. Coming it's back. coming back. We're gonna see it go up and down, but California is definitely um, poised to experience a lot of these climate natural disasters. I think more than a lot of places, and yeah, it's pretty obvious living there. Yeah. Any well, deniers of global warming? Uh, I think we got some proof that it's heading. Yeah, I think in a like politically we're past that. They're no longger denying. Oh, are they that. not we're denying having that conversations anymore? Conversations about solutions. Hopefully, I mean, yeah. yeah. There's uh, there's yes, Tom McClintock who represents like California Congress. He's our congressman, uh, District Four. He's a denier for sure. It's he told like, me to he, he told me to vote with my feet and move if I didn't agree with his policies. I was like, that's very insulting coming from a politician. Really? Yeah. Go with it. your feet and move. Yeah, yeah. That wasn't cool. But um, wow. Yeah, we're we're solution oriented now. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> uh, you know, what I think it's time for buds. Oof! Time to crack a cold brew. I think time huh? for the pub beer crap shoot. I've been waiting for this. I kind for, of been waiting for a too. while. Yeah, right? Crack some can out there. Oof! Cheers, buds. Cheers. It's an honor to be here with you. Thank you. I'm it's a big honor. fan of Tech we're, Nine. We're very honored. You too. Oh, Tech Nine. <laughs> yeah, if you know, if you know <laughs> Fletch and, fan out though. If you know Fletch and uh, Goddamn too, and it's, it's pretty and awesome. Messy. Yeah, I was gonna say you must have went to school with Messy too. Huh? Yeah, he's still a homie. I yeah. really enjoy hanging with he's him. A dope human. Tahoe yeah. OGs. Cheers. Spilled some. Don't yeah, my, how's don't that? My shirt. <laughs> how was it, bud? Uh, it's delicious. It's cheap. It's fun. Never a bad time. Let's go. Pub beer. Pub beer. If you're thinking about getting absolutely annihilated or having one beer responsibly, what are you going to go with, buds? Pub beer. Every time. Every time. Okay. Welcome to the Pub Beer Crab Shoot. You can roll two dice. All right. And uh, you're going to tell us what you roll. If you roll a Goon Gear logo, that's a six. And then we'll tell you. What what question you have to answer? All right, I'm going five six. You played some CeeLo in your day? A little bit. We got, got seven. 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 This is a good question. Who's one of your favorite people to party with? Oh, you know what? Back in the day, I'm going to throw it back to JP Eau Claire. What a great partier! What a great human! Professional partier. Just a funny person to be around. Now, some people aren't the greatest partiers, but some people are just epic partiers. Yeah, totally. They just make you laugh. Oh, I gotta say, Aaron Blatt too. Yeah, Love yeah. partying oh, he's, with a, him. He's, a, he's pretty good with. Yeah, it. he's got a black belt in partying. <laughs> <laughs> does totally. He does. It doesn't happen together as often as I kind of would like it to, to be honest. But I think he's the first person I ever seen uh, take the whiskey cap and throw it into the fire. Oh yeah. It's a classic move. That, it makes it explode or what? <laughs> no, it just means you have to finish the bottle of whiskey and you end up getting just Oh, because you can't close it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So he'll just crack one and throw it in the fire. Yeah, yeah yep, and you're going to be basically pie-eyed. Good night. Guaranteed, yeah. Cross wow, it. dude, that's an amazing. That's a move. Yeah, it's an amazing move. I wonder who taught him that or did he invent that or. I think that's a it's known probably an thing. old like cowboy move. Totally. If you lick under uh, Aaron Blatt Wikipedia, in there. the direct <laughs> definition is man who invented throwing whiskey cat. <laughs> <into fire. Sick. laughs> he's been he's been chilling lately. Yeah. Well, you know we all get older and mellow out a bit and totally can't keep that rate up. Yeah, like that's true. That's I mean, true. some people do, I guess, but yeah. Well, I have another guest question from a dear friend of mine, uh, also fellow skier and 
Oh, friend of the show, friend of the show as well, Matt Sturbins. Here oh, we go. yes. And yeah, just for the listeners, I wanted yeah, to ask you a question about your keys to staying authentic. I just, authentic. obviously, growing up alongside you in North Lake Tahoe, it's been incredible to see what you have been able to accomplish in your career, but yet you've always been able to maintain a very singular point of view. I think you've inspired a lot of other skiers that you've come across, and I just kind of wanted to hear you talk a little bit about your approach to skiing and how you've been able to maintain so true. Able to maintain so true. Congratulations. Can't Congratulations. Wait to Can't wait to listen. Sturbins. That's going way back. Yeah, he was there in the beginning, beginning. He was so supportive from the beginning, too. Really love that guy. It's been cool to see his path and to connect with him here and there. Um, staying true to it. I think, again, just like I'm passionate about learning. Like, if there's one thing, like, I didn't go to college, but I read a lot of books. I love learning. I love diving into something. And and I love also, like, not doing things super softly. Like, I like diving in. Like, I want to be the best that I can be at whatever I'm aiming towards. Oftentimes, that goes towards athletics. And I think Aaron's helped open up my mind into, like, music and art and other stuff. But photography, whatever that is. But yeah, constantly learning new skill sets within your career path. And then that like develops you as an individual into like having so much inspiration moving forward. And I think that that's been my key. And, and I had a lot of great influences growing up too. Like I keep going back to JP and I just got to shout him out so much because he was like the first person that was ever like, take an avalanche course. Like you want to go film, take an avalanche course. And like, he kind of guided me in that direction. And, and I think like at the time that we were really close, we shared some sponsors and and he just like, it was just like learned by watching. Like he was a mentor, but probably didn't know it too much. But his approach to everything was, he would edit his own video parts. He would like place the classical music to the powder song that hadn't been done. Like he was just inspirational all around. Really fun to be around, constantly learning. He has done everything within the ski industry. Have you guys seen his street part in Nelson? Ooh, that's a good piece yeah. of ski- skiing history to watch. That's a good one. I'll check that out. Yeah, I think you'd like it a lot. Um, But, yeah, having good influences, the industry, as wild as it may seem, like, like I remember my first ever trip away from my parents that wasn't supervised was with Brad Holmes, and he's, like, yeah, he was, like, really tight with Palmer growing up. Like, they were a rowdy bunch. Yeah, I heard he's pretty rowdy. Totally. Yeah, and and my dad's, like, my dad just loved him. was, like, yeah, you can go on a trip with Brad Holmes. Just, like, you can go. I filmed with him for a movie called Star Skis and Hucks. And, uh, <laughs> wow, solid name. Yeah, Jeez, name. that's the best ski name I've heard totally. to date. But, like, I'm, like, 17. I'm, like, sweet. Like, first unchaperoned trip, get in the truck. My my dad's, like, waving from the front yard, and Brad just, like, thumbs a beer and hands it to me. He's, like, shotgun this. But, like, I learned, like, how to maintain that, too, with all these guys. Like, everyone looked out for you. You had a bunch of older brothers and sisters, and, like, the industry really, like, People like Sturbance supporting you from day one. Never any doubt. That guy always supported. Like, that was so cool. But that goes back to what we need to pass on, too, is, like, be a good influence and, and mentor people and mm-hmm. and teach them. And, yeah, we'll all be better because of it. Very well articulated answer to a question. I love that. Uh, and while you were talking about that, you just kind of mentioned that this is the reason why I got into guiding. And, and I want you to kind of explain why you – wanted to get trained to be a guide and what why people should know about the mountains i guess 
Yeah, so I was 21 when I took my first avalanche course, and that was fully JP's, like, oh, you want to be a filmer? Like, you have to do this. Like, I remember I spent a lot of time up here in Utah, and we'd film street rails and then go build jumps and stuff, but I didn't know jack shit about avalanches. I lost my first two friends to avalanches when I was 12. They didn't know anything about it. They skied off the backside of Palisades into Alpine, and they were buried five feet apart. It was, like, shocking. I was like, what is an avalanche? Um and obviously through skiing like I've seen that a lot it kind of got to a point where I was like I just have to accept the fact that like I might be first on scene for some of this stuff it might be me that's part of something you have to like think about when you're out there um pardon me I was gonna burp but I decided not to (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah so I took my first avalanche course it was with AK heli skiing it was called guide school we did our avalanche level one your woofer and uh, crevasse rescue was amazing I was so psyched on that I left that class and uh, the last scenario, like you always get these scenarios and the last one was like the ultimate scenario. There was multiple languages being spoken, head injuries, back injuries, like multiple burials, some people with beacons, some people without beacons. We flailed. We came up short and I was pretty disappointed in myself for not like acing it, but I also was like, walked away and I was like, that would never happen. Like, that'd be so crazy. That summer I go down to Argentina and I'm coaching in a summer camp and one of our campers triggered an avalanche and he was buried and there was reported that there was two others buried without beacons that were 12 year old kids and uh, Randall was, uh, he's amazing, shout out to Randall, but he was buried three feet under for I think it was like seven minutes and 57 seconds and we responded to that and it was the ultimate scenario. We were in a different country. The ski patrol at the time didn't know how to use their beacon. They were Their beacons were turned on. So we were like going up, doing the search and, and getting them, picking them up. We're like, turn your beacons off. Like, we've got this. We know we're trained. We got, we like found them. We like rescued them. But it was just an affirmation of like, we need to be freaking trained up. Like these are people's lives. We're playing with nature. Nature doesn't give a shit how much money you make, how many followers you have on Instagram. Like nature's the ultimate humbler and uh so it became really important to me and uh by the way the two other kids that were 12 that were buried without beacons they were uh found later they uh had skied off and not told their parents but so that was like the ultimate slap in the face of like we really need to be on this shit and we also need to spread that awareness and we need to be open and vulnerable about this because we learn from each other um And then, yeah, years later, I guess I started taking avalanche courses every year. Like, once a year, let's brush up on this. And then 10 years ago, myself and a couple other ladies got together, and we started talking about creating a space where women specifically could feel really empowered to use their voice and to find their voice in the mountains and also gain that knowledge and experience on their own. So we started Safe As Clinics, and we've reached, man, probably like close to 2,000 individuals through these clinics. We try to keep them really cost-effective. It's an intro into Avalanche Level 1, and it's been a great program. It's been really cool. We've opened it up for all genders. We have one women-specific day and then another two days, usually at each location. And that's kind of been my give back to the community. Like, I want to, yeah, that's like my mentorship. Like, if I can do that on a large scale, that's awesome. Um, It's been really gratifying. It's a lot of hard work. We're, like, running events. But another avenue you can take your career in, like, you can do whatever you want, like, host events. That's cool. Um, but yeah, it's, it's super important to continue to study all of this knowledge is perishable. If we don't use it, you lose it. So keep sharp on that. Like, yeah, always studying it up. It's really fun to learn too. And, and, and the information is constantly developing. So like, if you can check back in every other year and take a course, like that's really important. What what country did the skiers not know how to use their beacons? That was in Argentina. Sketchy. Yeah. I think it's really important to note that like, 
yeah, we don't do things the same everywhere. Yeah. For sure. When you're traveling. It's an important lesson, right? Yeah. Share with everybody. I mean, I've been on so many trips where you hire a guide and you're like, whoa, this is not a guide. Yeah, he's not a guide. Yeah. How we certify guides or whatever. So it's almost like a money grab in some of those countries. Like, yeah, we'll take you out there and pay us this much money. I mean, in Japan, we hired this guide and it turns out he was like an urban guide. He took us to all the best restaurants, but like did no <laughs> shit in the mountains. Yeah. So I think like. He's a restaurant guy. <laughs> yeah. He was so good at that too. Um, but yeah, we paid him a lot. Um, <laughs> but knowing your shit, like we're all on a team out there. And I think the backcountry is becoming more and more popular and the gear we have is making it more accessible. And I think, you know, it's easy to point fingers and be like well that person doesn't know what they're doing but what if you approached it in a different way and you walked up to them and you're like hey i noticed that like your beacons on the outside of your jacket mm-hmm. like let me help you out with this and explain why and, and be open and conversational and, and i love asking questions on the skin track because it helps me learn mm-hmm. and it also makes me seem like communication skills right like if you're going to tell someone what to do that doesn't come off that good but if you ask them a question like why do you feel safe right now like that's a great way to open up the conversation and for them to then feel like like you can stroke their ego a little bit and they're like oh i get to share with you my knowledge that i have of the mountains and and if you're with people that don't want to have that conversation you've got the wrong partners like it's cool to be well informed and it's really cool to share that knowledge Mm -hmm. and yeah you're a team out there or when you see people, like, they keep their beacon in their backpack or in their pocket. Yeah. It's just, they just have no the pocket's idea. pocket's okay, actually. If, if your jacket rips off, it's not okay, though. Enough. Your pants pocket? If it's tied in, it's okay. Yeah. But not a cargo pocket, like, <clears throat> anything that might get stripped off. Yeah. But, yeah, you're exactly right. Jackets like, can get ripped off pretty easy. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I love that that uh, statement, too, because you see it so much. I, I never even actually picked up on it, but you see you're going through the mountains, and there's, you know, I would say that generally we're with a experienced group of people that have, have some experience and you'll be somebody like, oh God, look at this idiot that's over here that doesn't know that they're doing something stupid. And that, that's the tone of approaching it. And I really like the, the approach of like a little bit more, um, not so abrasive. Yeah. The more, you know, like, yeah, nope, like, hey, I, I noticed that yeah. like you're underneath a cornice here. Just want to like. If it does go, this could be really dangerous or whatever it is, but not like, oh, you're so stupid for being on this course because there is that that sense of like moral superiority. Oh, I I know my ego is fucking yeah. Tron. Uh, I, I know this know, corner is Especially, safe you know, as you, you see it with a lot of schemo and stuff like that. But Yeah, like ditch the ego. Yep. Yeah, mountains don't give a shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the mountains for that reason. Totally. And that's mountains are boss. The ability to ditch the ego too. You also said earlier, you're like, I'm not... um. I, I really like to learn. I really like to learn. And, and I, I would almost directly correlate somebody's drive to want to learn to a non-attachment to their ego because the, the ego says you already know. Totally. The, the ego says you're right. There's and two types of people, the knowers and the learners. Yes. Be a yeah. learner. Yep. Yeah, because change is good. Mm-hmm. Change is like, man, change is good. We need that. 100%. I always love the analogy when somebody's like, man, like, You've changed. You're like, good. I sh- <laughs> yeah. You want me to be the same as I was when I was 18? <laughs> totally. But I don't know. Unfortunately, I think we Buds and I are a little bit more like fucking 12-year-olds still. <laughs> same here, though. <laughs> I'm 12 for life, dog. <laughs> for life. But that's good. You can't lose that childlike no. sense of fun. All right. It's a good time to get into hot takes. Uh, you know, we do this. We're going to... She's a skier, so we're going to adjust a little bit. But um, Michael Jordan or Goat, or goat to you, we'll say, um, both male and female skiing, who you got? All right, skiing, 
I'm going to go JP again, more or less, because he's done every avenue of skiing. I think that's really cool. Um, for women, I have a hard time with this because I just love all of them, but I'm putting Ingrid Backstrom up there. I think she was like the lady that came before me for on the filming side of things and really pushed those boundaries and paved the way. And, and I'll also go Sarah Burke for sure. I think Sarah Bur- Burke is a deserved goat for life. Great answer. Uh Parker powder. Powder. <laughs> All right. Who's the most underrated? Most underrated. Ooh, that's a tricky one. Um, I think there's a lot of up and comers that I'm pretty impressed by right now. You know what? Shout out to Tay Tay Taylor. Tay Tay. Uh, it's her birthday today. Happy wow. birthday. Yeah, I think she's just such a wonderful human being. And I actually got to spend a little bit of time with her this year in France where we hung out with Coco or Colleen Ballet-Baz, and I think she's pretty underrated too. So, yeah. Great answers. Uh, best style. Who you got? Best style. Um, man, I, I kind of have this, like, old, just, like, when I was growing up watching Sean Pettit, I was, like, so hyped on everything he was doing. Like, he was such a goat at that age too. Like, he was a child prodigy, and he was the first person that I ever saw go to Alaska and just absolutely, like – he was amazing the first year he went there. Usually that takes years of experience, but I dig everything that he's got going on. He's kind of taken his own path, and I appreciate it. Um, yeah, but there's this young lady named Jenny Lee, or Jenny Lee. She's from Sweden, and she's got pretty dope style these days. I'm pretty hyped on that. Solid. Love that. If you could see one musical artist, dead or alive, who would you go see? I think I answered this in the Patreon earlier, but I do, I really missed out on this Wu-Tang concert when I was younger. <laughs> and like with the whole group, I think that would be absolutely amazing. And high on the list of people to watch is also Willie Nelson. Um, he's got a great autobiography that'll get you pretty hyped on him. That. Yeah. Yeah. Willie Nelson's up there. I really love Lucas Nelson too. Like, yeah, that whole family. I think they, they do it for the people and for the pure passion of loving music. But uh, Jimi Hendrix. Final Two, three answer. at us. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy, final answer. I caught a Willie Nelson concert like four years ago. You did. How was it? It was. I would like to see him in his prime. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll tell you this. I, I, I might get absolutely uh, skewed for saying this. I've been to a Wu Tang concert, and I'm just gonna say this. There's a lot of people talking on the stage at once. It's like <laughs> and the whole crew is around. The whole crew but, is but yelling. ODB could be there with the yeah. whole crew. Yeah, I get in see with ODB. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's that a good point. would be a very yeah. memorable moment. The whole, was, all of them together yeah. would be nuts. A lot of yelling happening, but very great. Because there's a, a lot show. of concerts when like three of them show up or five right. of yeah, them show up. You, yeah. you never get the whole clan. Totally. And now you can't get the whole clan. So it's a good that point. was like one of my first CDs ever. I don't know how I stumbled across the Wu Tang Clan, but I was like, oh, this, yeah. these guys are. They've got it going on. And then I went really deep into like the Bay Area rap scene. Loved that. Um, well, too short, maybe? Yeah, Nicotina, yeah. Mac Dre. Yeah, Mac yeah. Dre. That was good. All right, Uh Okay, first video that sparked it all. First video that sparked it all that I like yeah, watched. Did you, did you have like a video that influenced you growing up that you watched a bunch? I think like growing up in Tahoe, the Matchstick movies were like super easily rentable. But I also got to shout out Standard Films because um, Victoria was in there. And Victoria, like, I credit her with, like, my desire to go to Alaska and perfect the turn. And watching her ride was just, like, otherworldly for me. I really, I, re- I want to see a Victoria come back. 
I've spoken about that with some people that she knows. Like, can we just like bring her back? Like, you know that turn still looks good. Yeah, fuck yeah. Yeah, it's got beautiful. I yeah, got, I got one more hot takes. You probably have. I more. got two more. He's got two more. I got one sneaky one to throw in. I used to do half pipe, right? Yeah. Ski, uh, ski poles or no poles in the pipe. I love it all. Whatever, whatever, really? whatever you want to do that makes you happy. Yeah. There's no hate. She's kind of a Louis Vito. That's yeah. a Louis Vito. Louis Vito. I'm being very Switzerland about it. Yeah. <laughs> what did you do? <laughs> I always had poles. I prefer skiing with poles. Um, Seems weird grabbing with poles in your hands. I lot, will lot to hold. What the what the heck carry yeah, out we're there? We're talented individuals. Oh, we can true. do that. Right. Um, but I think like if you're gonna go no poles, like keep it tight. Like I like style a lot. I think growing up, like I was never a spin to win. I just liked having good style. Mm. So yeah, keep it tight. So the poles we've t- talked about this on the show. One of the benefits of poles is pointing and stuff too. Can Facts. point at all the mountains and say, "Oh, you can flex your knowledge of the mountain range." <laughs> yeah. I love snowboarders talking about poles, and then when you go split boarding, they're all like clapping them together. Yeah, like, this is what you guys chance. do, right? That's yeah, so and you know, you, you can test the condition of the snow. You can yeah. smack it. Smack you can it. say, "Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. poles are useful." You can yeah. dig little hasty mm-hmm. pits, test out the snow. There's pad. a lot of, yeah. lot of uses for these. Poles. The more you yeah. go split boarding, the more adjectives I hear for describing the type of snow. Yeah, and I'm just like, I didn't even know that word existed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very learned bunch there yeah. in the mountains. Um, okay, we're still doing hot takes here. So if you go heliboarding with three people, somebody told me we were fucking up because you can bring four. But well, I, one's a guide. Well, if you got me, I'm really small, so I can sit in the front seat, the jump seat with the guide, so you can put four in the back. I've they don't do that that much experience anymore. Where they let you do that, yeah. yeah. There's the pilot, there's the guide, and then there's the back row. And then if you ask politely and you like bat your eyes, then maybe they'll put a little jump seat up there so there's two in front. But it's a weight thing with like all the camera stuff. Like yeah. they're not. Oh, we're really gonna stick with the much. original question. Who was telling three, you you're three, messing up? I can't remember some some. They probably thing. weren't thinking of the guide or the pilot. You yeah, need somebody's like, hey, man, you go got to re- re- redo your heliboarding question because you're going to four people. You've been blowing it. Yeah. Maybe he was in like some Euro or Russian helicopter. Yeah, the, he's probably Russian. That's probably the situation. So if you're in a non-Russian helicopter and you can only bring three people, <laughs> who are you bringing? Um, wow. Oh, that's a hard one, too. So many friends. That, okay, dead or alive? Sure. Yeah. Okay, Timmy Dutton, Shane McConkey, and... Uh, Whew, those are two really good ones. Willie Nelson, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Man, Willie might slow us down a little bit, which would be cool, whatever. Um, but phew, the other person, I'd probably want to go with Ingrid Backstrom because I tried really hard to film with her when I was younger, and we never got to, so I'd, I'd really appreciate that. I'd so probably go with these three people, Bone, Thugs, and Harmony. Oh, yeah? <laughs> how, many people are, how many people are in Bone, Thugs? Hopefully <laughs> <Yeah>. three. <laughs> There's Busy Bone. I, no uh, I want to say like five, but I think of harmony going on. Yeah. In that, <laughs> in that copter, what I know? would do is I'd get a Russian helicopter and I'd bring the whole Wu Tang. Yeah, the whole Wu Tang yeah. in a Russian Russian copter. That'd be a riot. That'd Maybe be that'd probably the best heli ride of your life, dude. Yeah. <laughs> okay, last question. Worst trend. What do you got? Hate. Stop hating. Yeah. Shred the hate. Erase the hate. Erase yeah. The hate. I like it. Solid answer. Okay. Now, we always ask our guests uh, the setups. What what setup do you rock when you go skiing? You can run through your whole gamut of, you know, head to toe and skis and cool. clunky cinder block boots that you guys call <laughs> ski boots. 
classic. <laughs> um, I love the Atris Birdie. It's a ski by Black Crows. That's been my go-to. I find when I veer away from it, I always come back to it. It's kind of the one. It works. Um, yeah, so that's my ski. And then typically I run the Solomon MTN binding for hiking. Really trust that thing. Watch Cody Townsend huck himself off 60-footers with it. It releases when needed. I love that thing. It's a pin binding. I don't know if you guys know about those, but that's what we use to hike up mountains. Sorry, yeah. Yeah. Um, then I got Pomoka skins, best skins in the game. You guys should both be on those, too, if you're hiking. There's out. a better skin than another skin? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like, some they are also, like, you want to get the ones that are good for climbing if you're on an icy skin track and you're new. I see a lot of people slipping all around, and, like, oh. your skin choice matters. I like the ones that are pre-cut for me, you know what I mean? There you go, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. Um, Boots. Boots, I have typically lately been running this Technica. Um, I should know the name of it, and I'm spacing it right now, but it's been the most high-performance backcountry boot that I can find for me. Um, I need that flex. It's like a 130 flex, but they just made it in a smaller size, so... Shout out to Technica for doing that. I think next year I'll be on some boots that actually fit me, which I'm excited about. And then I think they're the zero G's. And then Arc'teryx Outerwear, for sure. Uh, it's the best design stuff. That company is amazing. They're going towards fully circular, which means like you buy something. If you send it back to them, they'll recycle it. They'll also repair it and resell it. They have like a shop where you can get kind of secondhand stuff that's been revamped. I think that's the future of fashion. Like Yeah vintage i love that trend i also love like these fully circular like wear it until it's totally ko'd um yeah so i use shell everything uh no insulation until i have a little micro puff that i'll throw on there usually merino wool base layers darn tough socks treat your feet right no cotton socks out there we got to get that merino wool darn tough's cool too they're like make all their socks in the u.s they have a company i think they've got like close to 500 employees in northfield vermont and it's like a willy wonka factory in the sock factory it's like so cool they have a really core following and just a really good company that gives back um and then i've got anon goggles um with the magnatech that's a dope feature on these goggles change your lenses real easy anon helmet um what else do i have usually a red bull uh (laughs) and then yeah that seems pretty complete Nailing it. I prefer uh, cotton out there. I they call yeah, you do. Used to call, used to call me the cotton kid back in the day. The so cotton, they call him the cotton mouth king, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I switched over long ago to no cotton. Wow, <laughs> what a life! What a life it is. Yeah, what yes. a life. Yes. Uh, well, you didn't talk about snowboard setup. Oh, snowboard right? set it. You get you getting free boards for anybody? Um, Burton's been kind enough to float me some boards. Yeah, I won my first snowboard, which is one of my favorites, the Jones Hovercraft at an auction. Um, that was really dope, and I ran that for a long time. But right now I'm on, like, the family tree split board that I've got and some Burton. I think they're the Supremes, the boots that I'm running. And then I, I went full, um, not volley, but what's the other one? Uh, oh, Sparks? For sparks, the yeah, Spark Bindings. I find those to be really comfortable, user-friendly. Again, Pomoka Skins. And I run the same outerwear and everything. What kind of rope are you running and climbing? <laughs> Just kidding, I don't know anything oh, about man, climbing. I don't Carabiners, know. Uh, no, but mountain you bikes, you got a specialized gear too? Oh, yeah, specialized Look. bikes for Wow. Yeah, yeah, they are the shit. I They're the shit, I have man. a specialized. Yeah. Woo, just got on that e-bike. Have you been playing on a no? I know because it's once it's like it's like Trying a drug. Because on once you get an e bike, your your like your other bike becomes useless. Basically. It is so fun. Yeah. I've been riding my analog bike. Oh, you have too. Okay. Yeah, I mostly run the Stumpy, the Evo. 
Um, but I, I've got, yeah, the Kinevo SL now, and I've just found that I don't really take rest days anymore because you can just, you're like, oh, we got the e-bike. We can just go out. So much fun. And plus, like, you shuttle less. Like, I've been doing climbs that I would normally shuttle on them. You can do it conversational pace. Like, there's a lot of hate towards them. I don't really know why. I, don't I see, know like, my friend's parents out there, and I'm like, mm-hmm. you made it to the top of Painted yep. Rock. Like, that's so cool. I love it. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's making it more accessible. We went to the zone that uh, it was a really awesome trail system, and it had you know in the middle of it, it had a fire road that you can that people were shuttling with cars, and I, I did I think we did two full laps on the day on an analog bike, and I we didn't actually go up the road we pedaled up the trails and but we would see these e bikers and they would rip the trail and then pedal up the road and rip the trail and pedal up the road and trip rip the trail and I was like, man, like this thing makes a lot of sense here. Yeah, yeah. There's so much fun. I've been digging it. You do a lot. You basically just do longer miles. Like instead of doing 20 miles, you'll do 60 or something, right? Like yeah, totally. It makes everything accessible. You're hitting new trails that you never thought you'd be able to do anymore. It's like really fun. Mm-hmm. And I've been using it to like commute. Like if I'm going to Olympic Valley, I'll like ride single track from my house up and over and then go there. I'm like, well, that was like 10 times more fun, less cars on the road. Like there's benefits there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so fun. I was at my local Savvy last night around midnight. There was a gang of 12-year-olds, and there was a kid on a electric scooter, and then an e-bike and a moped, and these kids looked bad just cruising around at 12 years old. I was like, this kid's got the life these days. Yeah. Yeah. I have, like, a cruiser e-bike that I cruise in town with, too, and, like, that is a traffic avoidance, just a big old smile on your face, mm-hmm. like... I wish communities could like supply e-bikes for everyone, and like that's some forward I feel like thinking. I saw that somewhere. A yeah. bunch of e-bikes that were usable. Yeah. Oh, was that our hotel at a uh, at a uh, Peace Park? They had a bunch of bikes out there, and some of them were e-bikes that you could rent. And it was pretty sick. Yeah, I think that's the way. In Salt Lake, we got electric scooters, but those aren't quite as tight. Oh, the bird things. Yeah, <laughs> still yeah. a good time though. But it's yeah. still rad. Yeah, it's still totally. cooler out there, and it's an app that lets you use it. I'm sure it's coming. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so what's next for Michelle Parker? What do we got on the docket? Um, well, been waiting for this next season of Originate to release. It'll be season three, so that's coming out pretty soon. Um, this year, I like kind of floated around. I worked with Warren Miller. I worked with TGR. I worked with – that was my first time ever there with TGR. I was really hyped on that. Um, I worked with Nexus, this uh, – first of its kind, I believe it was all female crew. So like every cinematographer is a woman, every photographer is a woman. Um, all the athletes are women. That was really empowering. That was super cool to like be out there. Like, well, we're making a movie and there's no, like, we're just doing it. It was so cool. So that was really fun. Look out for that one. And then I worked with, uh, yeah, Coco Colleen Ballet-Baz on her movie. It's like kind of more of a French women's film, which was really fun. So yeah, four projects coming out this year. Um, really interesting working with Warren Miller too. There's a lot of history there. They've been making, say he's still alive. He's not, but oh, the okay. company still is in existence and we filmed for his 73rd film. So they've been making movies since 1949. I think we have Warren to thank for like the film industry and our sports. Like that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. So lots of projects coming out as far as the summertime. This is the first summer that I'm, I'm kind of like leaning into chilling out a little bit more and not having so much on my plate. I tend to be a bit of a workaholic and say yes to everything, but I'm learning personal boundaries, which is really powerful. Um, so yeah, I'm, I am still like, 
you know, I think often people think that like as athletes, you don't like work that hard, but there's a lot of nine to five days that I put in and, and I keep myself super busy, whether that's organizing our events or, um, you know, working with different sponsors, whatever it is like, yeah, it's a full-time job. Um, yeah, in the future, I think I'm, I'm starting to put proposals in for projects in the future. And that's really exciting too. I kind of need a pause though, to like get that inspiration again, would love to make an all women's film and yeah, good things are happening. That's, it's been fun. Four projects. That's a lot on the plate right there. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to take this year off and like chill out. And then like, it, I didn't, um, I just like doing stuff because, and that's a good sign. Like when you have so much fun doing what you're doing, like I love filming. Like that is so cool to create something and to connect with the cinematographer and be like, Hey, you want this turn there? Like, yeah, I'll do my best and style it out, whatever. Like I love it so much. That's awesome congratulations on on all your success and everything and uh you know we always ask our guests do you want to throw out any thank yous absolutely um first and foremost i'd like to thank my parents my mom and dad greg and luann and my brother johnny my family's been my rock this entire time they've always been supportive really really psyched on them um thanks to aaron he's also super supportive and has helped me succeed and definitely lifts me up find yourself a man that lifts you up or a woman or whatever it is like just that's a good important part of being in a relationship, I think. And he certainly does that for me. And then all of my sponsors are Terex, Red Bull, Black Crows, uh, Darn Tough, Anon. There's a lot, but yeah, they've all been specialized. Like, thanks y'all so much. It's been a wild and long and fun ride. Incredible. I want to say, Michelle, thank you so much for coming on to our show. Where can people find you if they want to uh, connect on social or anything like that? On social, we've got Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, whatever, TikTok. I think it's all at M-Y-S-H-E-L-L Parker, P-A-R-K-E-R. Amazing. Uh, I, I want to say thank you for coming on the show. Uh, thank you for everything you've done and continue to do for your sport. And, um, yeah, we really appreciate chatting with you. It's been super fun. Thank you. I appreciate what y'all are doing, creating space. You're helping people be really vulnerable and sharing really important stories. And, yeah, I've cried many times listening to it and <laughs> laughed my ass off and felt inspired. So y'all are doing it right. Keep it up. That's awesome. Thank you so much for having a skier on the show, too. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> it's uh, been an honor. Well, appreciate you and appreciate everybody that listens and tunes in each and every week. You guys kick ass. And we will see you next week over and out from the bomb hole.